From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 110, and I'll be by myself. So this is a first, and likely a last, for the podcast. I don't normally uh, cover television, but I figure this is such a gaping black hole in pop culture, especially recent pop culture, that I, I should do something to celebrate that. So I'm sitting down to watch the entire series of Game of Thrones, and if I time this correctly... This episode should launch the week after the final episode ever airs. That's what my goal is anyway. Uh, So you ask, how is it that a human being in this day and age who watches a lot of everything and enjoys many genres has not seen Game of Thrones? Well, it stems back to a weird bet I made just before it came out. Uh, Taking you back, so HBO at that time had just canceled Deadwood, I believe. They were canceling Carnival. A show called Rome came out, only lasted one season. And I was starting to see this trend in HBO where they were ordering all these really big budget shows and then not really seeing them through to the end. And so I was talking to this about this person I was working with at the time on a, on a series and I said I'm not going to watch Game of Thrones because I'm j- it's just not going to last. It's not going to last more than one season. And they said you're crazy of course it will and of course you'll watch it and I said nope. And I bet them that if I ever watched an episode of Game of Thrones I would take them out to a nice lunch so if, uh, if that person listens to this Feel free to call me on that wager. Uh, make I will make good on it. You know who you are. So that said, uh, how am I going to structure this? I'm going to try to fit this all into one episode. I don't plan on going on too long of rants, although maybe I will. Who knows? I know this show has a lot to talk about. So I think the plan is I'm going to come back right after watching the pilot just to give you my initial thoughts on the beginnings of the show And then I think I'm just going to check back in at the end of each season um, of the show unless I'm going crazy somewhere in the middle and maybe I'll check in more. Maybe this will turn into a 20-part series. Who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. Right now, it is uh, the beginning of January 2019. So I'll I'll give you the dates of where I'm at as I'm chugging through these things. yeah, so what do I know about Game of Thrones going into this? I don't know a ton. I've, I've done a really good job of trying to stay away from spoilers. I know some of the actors that are involved in it. I know Peter Dinklage. 
Um, I know Lena Headley, I believe, is part of it. Uh, I know there's a character called Jon Snow. I know there's a thing called the Red Wedding. I don't know what these things are. I assume the Red Wedding is bad. <laughs> uh, it sounds very murdery. I know that this show is famous for that kind of thing. Major character deaths and twists and lots of sexuality and violence and nudity and all these things. Uh, I had a really tough time when I was working on Baroness Von Sketch Show because Aurora Brown is a huge fan of the show, as are other people on the show. I think Jen Whalen is also a huge fan. And so I had to not go into the trailers uh, the day after new episodes would air because that's all they would talk about. And so <laughs> I had to avoid it because I knew that I was going to do this at some point. So here is the day. And, uh, and yeah, I put this off about as long as I could. I wanted to wait until the new year, I think, and, and get into it. So here I go. Uh, I'll see you in a second as I'm about to watch the pilot for Game of Thrones. Okay, so I just finished the pilot. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, okay, I can see why this is crack for people and, uh, and why it's the phenomenon that it is. Uh, I, I, let me back up and I'll kind of walk you through. I, I jotted down some notes while I was watching so that I could be a little more in depth. Uh, what a great opening. You know, holy fuck, that, that, that ice mountain wall thing is, is big. What an awesome reveal that big cut was to show how wide and the grandeur of the kingdom. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Night Riders, is that what they're called? Those guys that find the savages, that, that group of people that are all, you know, cut apart and splayed around. They cut to that over-the-head shot. And the group, the way they're laid out, they look like a vagina. I'm just saying, if you didn't notice that the first time, go back and just check it out. That's what they look like. And given what this show is, and, and the amount of nudity they put on display, especially of the female variety, uh, of course it's a vagina. And then they're all gone, and man, that's intriguing as well. You know, what a fucking great opening. The dead kid coming back alive. First of all, it was creepy that there was a, a kid pegged to the tree. And then the fact that it was some kind of demon. Or what do they call them? They call them the, the White Walkers or something. Super exciting. Uh, and the cast. I mean, I'm missing most of the names. But yeah, I was right about Sean. I forgot about Sean Bean. Uh, Lena Headley, great. Peter Dinklage, great. And so many more. Holy fuck. I'm going to try to get to know the, their names a bit better as we go along. Uh, I also don't know who's gonna who's gonna be around <coughs> for very long. This is a show that likes to traffic and, and killing people off. Uh, I hope you're enjoying uh, watching me discover this many years too late. Uh, I think that's the draw of me doing this episode for myself as well. Uh, I love that peasant type guy, the the night rider who witnessed all the mayhem, and I was really sad that he was killed super quick. I guess that he was a deserter. That makes sense. I love that line Sean Bean says, the man who passes the sentence must swing the sword. Tells you all you need to know about that character. What a really great remark. And I love uh, this little exposition about the White Walkers having been gone, that creepy group of people, uh, or whatever they are. So uh, really, really nice foreshadowing for things to come. I'm assuming 
uh, Jon Snow, now I know who Jon Snow is. And he's the bastard child. And he gets the runt albino wolf thing. So I'm assuming he's going to be with him for the entire series. I hope so. I think that would be nice. One thing I really noticed while watching this is that it's, you know, the production value is obviously off the hook. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, but it's, and as cinematic as it is, it still feels like television. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to, to talk trash about it, but it's still got the way it's shot. It's got a television feel. It's not necessarily cinematic in the sense of uh, having a, a point of view with character the way that film does. Um, but, you know, that's because it's got such a large cast they're tracking. And I'll talk about that in a second. You know, Peter Dinklage's reveal is, is quote, the imp. I don't know his real name. I think they might have mentioned it, but I missed it. Uh, what a great character. And I can only imagine it's going to get even more delicious. I will say I, I didn't expect this show to be nearly as charming and as playful as it is, it's a real, real treat for me because I was worried that it was going to be a bit, you know, melodramatic and heavy in a lot of ways. But I like that there's this lightness to some elements of it. And uh, and the, the ending of the episode, Jesus, incest and then the murder of the king's young son. We assume uh, that's how it ends, so we don't know. What a great fucking episode. What a great pilot. I'm in the middle of working out a bunch of my own pilots right now and uh, developing series and studying a lot of them. And this one is, is tremendous. You know, we get a shitload of characters. We're tracking them all. I can't say that I have a strong sense of all their names or ranks or whatnot, but I have a sense of who's on what side of the various alliances. So far, I'm assuming we're going to see some people shifting around. Uh, the show does a really great job of making all these characters distinct, and so I get a sense of who they are amongst this amazingly uh, large cast. I remember when the show first started, and maybe they still do this, I don't know, but I used to always read the AV Club's review of new episodes of television shows, and I remember at the time they always did two reviews for the show, and one was for newbies or novices, and the other one was for experts, so I assume the people that read the books. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go and read the books now, I don't think. I don't. I, I like all genres of everything. I don't love reading fantasy uh, books because I find that they're just super dense. And that's not a bad thing. But, uh, you know, as much as I love the Lord of the Rings movies... The books, it's like, man, I do not need to, I don't need two or three pages at a time of people walking. It's a bit much for me. Uh, what, a, what a tremendous cast. I don't know what else to say. There's so much There's so much to say. And uh, and I can see why this show is cracked for people. I want to watch the next one right away, and I will. I think another one of the reasons why I avoided watching this show for as long as I did is because I knew it was going to become a big, giant time suck and in knowing that I've got at least uh by the time if I catch up properly to this I've got eight seasons of television to watch um I believe most of them are 10 episodes I've got a shitload of television ahead of me and I'm sure I'm gonna watch it all very quickly and uh yeah I might not hit my movie a day this year that I, I I'm trying to hit now and if so, I blame Game of Thrones. There's also a ton of other series that I want to start watching and check out. 
So I think I'm going to get back to watching a lot more television this year. But uh, but still grinding up these black hole films for sure. Uh, yeah, so I'll be back in what's seconds for you all. Uh, who knows how long it'll take me to get through season one. I have a sneaking suspicion it's not going to take very long. So I finished the uh, first season. It took me pretty much the entire season to get a handle on the characters' names, and by no means did I get them all. There's still some outliers. So I, I was, as I was jotting down notes, I kind of just gave them a lot of nicknames, like Incest Lannister 1. <laughs> um, I still don't know if I know Lena Headley's character's name in the show. Uh, yeah. That's okay. I just call her Lena Headley because she's a fantastic actress. And I also didn't want to... The problem was normally I would just be like, oh, what's that character's name? I'd Google them. But I've done such like an amazing job. I'm very proud of myself that I'm going into this show that is a huge, massive, popular show without knowing how long characters survive and what characters live or what characters die. So I didn't want to look people up, especially on IMDb, because then they show how many episodes they're in. So I didn't want to get any sense of what characters are short-lived on the show and long-lived on the show, because I think they do like a really, really good job of, uh, of making people feel like they could die at any moment and that they'll also live forever, which uh, I'll talk about momentarily, I am sure. Um, where to start? Okay, so not only does Bren live, uh, Ned's son, but essentially his living is probably the catalyst and deciding incident for the entire series. It definitely kicks off what becomes a war between the Starks and the Lannisters that takes us through the rest of the season and beyond because it's not wrapped up. Um, it's fascinating that a child witnessing an incestuous sexual act is the catalyst for the entire series. Just kind of put that out there. Um, I'm going to assume that anyone listening to this has seen the show, and the last thing you need me to do is to summarize the season. Uh, So maybe it's just most interesting for me to just talk about the various storylines and what stood out for me and what I liked. First of all, what I really loved about the show and this season was that no matter what storyline I'm in, I'm invested. I'm really excited to be in it. It's, it's, you know, just full of wonderful things. And that's pretty amazing for a show with this many stories and this many characters. It's really enjoyable when the characters float around and come into contact with each other. No one seems to get that opportunity more than Peter Dinklage as Tyrion. Fuck, I love the relationship he has with pretty much everyone on the show and everyone he comes across. I've always loved Peter Dinklage as an actor, but this has got to be the role of a lifetime for him. He's charming, he's vulnerable, he's all the things. I deeply, deeply hope that we get to see him on the show for many, many seasons to come. I'm pretty sure he is one of the ones that survive. Maybe he's even still around in the final season, I don't know. Uh, If they kill him off in season two, I'll fucking outrage. (laughs) I think Tyrion's probably the only character also on the show who is actually fit to be king. God, I hope we get to see that at some point. I'm excited to see him as the new hand in the second season, especially since he's bringing Shay along with him. I love that relationship that they're developing. It'd be interesting to see him attempting an actual relationship with with, uh, another person or if it's short-lived. Either way, I just can't wait to see how 
Tyrion story plays out. And not only are the main character storylines in the show phenomenal, but I really love the little windows we get into supporting characters like the Hound and the Eunuch. You know, they're both really fascinating the characters. The Eunuch seeming to legitimately just want to have, have the realm's best interest at heart. And the Hound, you get that backstory with the brother. Um, there's that guy, Littlefinger, who was the was running for mayor on The Wire. It's the same actor. He was on The Wire. Um, that guy, there's no way he fucking lives very long. With the, the backdealing he does, either that or he's going to be the last douchebag standing. Neither would shock me. He could die quickly or be around for, for forever. Um, Khaleesi might be my favorite character on the series. It's definitely a tie between her and Tyrion. God, I hope we get to see the two of them interact at some point. Uh, her brother, whose name I could never catch, was probably the worst character in the show for me. Not just because he was a giant piece of shit, but because he was the closest the show ever came to feeling like it had a stock character with pretty much no dimensions. He was just an evil little shit. And his death was amazing. Drogo giving him the golden crown he so desperately craved was such a beautiful irony, and it was fucking awesome. At some point, I wondered if we wouldn't end the season with the dragon eggs hatching, but the way that they did it, with her climbing up on Drogo's pyre and proving for them all that she is, in fact, a dragon, was so fantastic. And then just all crawling over her naked? Amazing. I mean, you know, if you're going to just be a show with blatant sexuality and nudity, that's a fucking awesome way to do it with a character like that. She's probably got the best arc of the season. You know, on top of at the top of that second episode, she's walking funny from the rough sex she had with Drogo the night before. And then she takes it upon herself to get sex lessons and essentially tames Drogo, makes her have makes him have sex with her, facing her and kissing and being intimate. And and they're equals by by not even the end of the season. You know, that he really the way they talk to each other, they have little nicknames for each other. It's it's beautiful. And by the time he's dead, they're equals. Uh, and I love how she just slowly comes into her own and she stops taking shit from her brother. Uh, I mean, she's another character that I think I'd love to see on the throne at some point. I think that's kind of the beauty of this show is we're going to go through a lot of people on the throne. And then they're going to die and someone else will take over. So that that's the sad. I don't want her to be on the throne too early because then that'll just mean that she's not going to last. Um so yeah, so maybe her and her and Tyrion will just team up at the end. I'd be okay with that. Uh, the Night Watch in Castle Black. So one of the things I knew going into the show was there a character called Jon Snow. Uh, he's the bastard of Ned, and now that Ned is dead, he's seemingly never going to find out who his mother is, or so we assume. You know, Ned said that he would tell him next time they met, and so it's setting us up to not know. But I can't imagine he wouldn't find out at some point in the future. Otherwise, why the hell bring that up? Um, you know, who knows? Maybe John's the one that ends up sitting on the throne. I mean, I feel like it's ultimately going to be someone unlikely anyway. So given that John has pledged himself to the Night Watch, he's as good a shot as any. Um, I really love that big guy that becomes his sidekick, the coward. I'm looking forward to many more stories with both of them. Uh, the only thing I can imagine, given how pathetic the Night Watch seems to be, is that they'll all be killed when they're off looking for the White Walkers, and John will be the last one left to tell the tale, and so he'll be able to go off on his own path and not have to worry about the vow that he made. That's my, my half-ass prediction for what's going to happen with that storyline in the near future. Um, and then I don't think I've missed any of the major groups. The last thing is the Lannisters and the Starks. 
you know, Sean Bean definitely felt like he was the lead of this series uh, throughout the the bulk of this first season. So it was a really awesome, wonderful, and bold move to kill him off when and how they do it. You know, as much as the bulk of the cast survived this season, it still felt like no one was ever safe. And that's such a beautiful gift to give to the audience. You know, killing out King Robert and having the boy douchebag Joffrey take over was a really great move story-wise. It'd be exciting to see how and when they kill the fuck out of that spoiled little shit. Um, I hope we get to see him cower and beg for his life in the most pathetic way possible with the most people watching. Or Sansa could kill him. They kind of foreshadowed that. That would make me happy. Just don't have her killed for it. I hope she, she does it and gets away with it. Um, Lena Headley is probably my favorite villain on the show. She's the one that with at least the most range as a character and doesn't just feel like she's an all-out stock character. I mean, she's clearly a villain, but you feel like she's got more going on than simply that, and that's just wonderful and refreshing on this show. You kind of get the, the the feeling that you know she's been treated badly, and that why she does some of the things she's done. You know, it, it, you just get motivation from her, which is what you want in a villain. Um, and But then it was also interesting because you start feeling like, oh, she's just really going to run the kingdom using Joffrey as as kind of like the, the, the poster child. But then he steps into his own and, you know, he defies her and has Ned killed, which I'm sure will be the beginning of his undoing. You know, that'll be the thing that, that gets him killed ultimately. There's so much more I could dissect on the show, um, but I'm going to try to keep this entire thing to one episode and not uh, overblow all of you. Uh, I'm, I'm really blown away by how engaged I am. I know how popular the show is, but I still thought that I would feel that it would be cheesy at some point, you know, given that it's fantasy. But those moments are few and far between, and I'm really enjoying just being along for the ride in a show like this. I think they did a beautiful job paying off the conflicts that emerged throughout the first season, and even in starting to set up what's to come. You know, Jamie's been kidnapped, Tyrion's the new hand, Ned's son has been declared King of the North by his own people, and they want to separate from the Seven Realms. Khaleesi's a dragon god of some kind. I can't wait for season two, which I'm going to dive in pretty much right away. Uh, but before we jump ahead to that, I'd love to give a shout out to the most fucked up character, Ned's sister-in-law, who still breastfeeds her own shitty son. Uh, and then here's some other random stuff I loved from uh, the, the other nine episodes in the season. Uh, episode two, Jon Snow and Tyrion's conversation. The dire wolf just kicking ass. Episode three, Hodor. Uh, another reference I had heard before, so it was fun to see him. I uh, hope we get a bit more about his backstory. I would love that. Although, awesome if he's just a giant mystery box. Uh, I like Ned finding the blacksmith's assistant that Robert's, that's Robert's bastard. And I love the way they bring him back in episode two. He's definitely going to play into the coming narrative, I assume. Uh, fuck, maybe he'll be on the throne. Who knows? Episode four, Tyrion's line. That's also the episode's title about having a special place in his heart for cripples, bastards, and broken things. I love that. Episode 5, that giant dragon skull in the dungeon was amazing. I love the hound fighting his brother. The scene between Lena and King Robert where they talk honestly about their relationship and the White Walkers and all those things. Like, What a great scene that was between those two actors and those two characters. You know, love that. Episode 6, I know I already mentioned it, but Drogo pouring burning liquid gold on Khaleesi's brother's head was fucking amazing. Episode 7, Lena just blatantly dropping the Game of Thrones titles and letting us know what that show is all about in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, episode 8, Tyrion's line. Uh, if ever there comes a day where someone tries to buy you out, whatever the price, I promise I'll beat it. 
I like living. I love the way that uh, Dinklage delivered that line. Uh, episode 9, another Tyrion. His drinking game with uh, Shay, where he assumes to know everything about her and is surprised that she's not the cliched prostitute with, with the backstory that he's just expected. Also, the killing of Ned. What a bold, awesome move in this, in this show. Uh, and finally, episode 10, Khaleesi's pissing contest with the witch was amazing, saying that she would scream and the witch said that she wouldn't. And then, of course, she is screaming as she's being burned to death while Khaleesi walks through and touched. So that's it. That's, uh, that's me for se- season one. It's about two-thirds through January, so let's see where we're at in the calendar by the time I finish season two. I don't imagine it'll be that far away from now because I kind of want to dive in right away. Okay, so I just finished season two. It's mid-February. It's actually been a few days since I finished watching. It took a couple days to compile my my thoughts and my notes. So they're not uh, as entirely fresh as I would like them to be. However, here they are. Uh, I officially have a handle on the character names, I think. I put special effort into that this time around. I'm going to probably screw up the pronunciation, but, you know, baby steps. Maybe by season seven, I'm going to have everyone down that's still alive. Um, I guess the best way to do this is similar to how I did season one. Talk about the various threads individually, and then maybe some kind of season as a whole, and where I hope the show is going and what I want to see moving forward. So let's start with the Lannisters. Uh, this time around, probably my least favorite character in the entire series is Joffrey. And that's not in a he's so evil, he's great sort of way. He just actually, he feels like a stock character for the most part. And I was getting really excited when I thought that we were going to get to see a brutal death for him by the end of the season. And I kind of hold out hope that that's coming sooner rather than later. Actually, you know what? I think I want to see him dethroned and humiliated first. Yes. I want to see that little fucker get broken. That's... That's what I want for him. Tortured. A quick brutal death is, is too good for him. The way he toys with Sansur throughout the season is so despicable. All the way with him publicly breaking the announcement of their engagement, becoming engaged to someone else right in front of her. And then Littlefinger even tries to get Sansur out because Joffrey doesn't like to let go of his playthings, he says. You know, he suggests he'll be kept to be a little fuck toy. Uh, you know, we saw the terrible, creepy things that he does with his playthings back when Tyrion tried to get him laid. To make him mellow out. But he is not interested in that, you know. And she's not interested in leaving. Uh, even the hound. She she uh, she refused the hound. Anyway, Joffrey. Fuck. You know, that guy can't die soon enough. But also I want to see him pay so badly before anything truly terrible happens to him. Uh, in terms of death. I want to see him suffer, really. Uh, the way he has been shitty to other people. Uh, Tyrion, as the new hand, is great. He is fantastic at his job, and you can only imagine how great of a king he would be if he were given a chance at that. Just going to throw that out there. I love that Shay survives the season, and by the end they've pledged their love to each other. It's a really, really beautiful relationship. We got to see how much he cares for her and lives in fear of his sister discovering that she exists so she can use it against him. You know, Tyrion gets some of the best lines, always. And when he slaps the shit out of Joffrey, I just want to give him a huge high five. He also has that amazing sequence where we get to see him 
putting several characters through the same private meeting and it's juxtaposed through editing and, and shooting in such a brilliant way. You know, doing it to see who's on the side with him, who's stabbing in the back. You know, Tyrion is great at this job of being the hand and it's sad to see him lose his job by the season's end. And uh, and I'm really curious to see where, where the character goes from here. You know, I think it's it's <clears throat> no no slight to say that Peter Dinklage is kind of the star of this series at this point. So uh, I want great things for him as we move forward. I want to see him leave the Lannisters. I want to see all of my favorites leave the shitty members in their family and, and team up. Now we got Lena Headley's Cersei. I think I'm saying her name properly. She's always fascinating. I mean, just the way she acts when they're trying to make you think that Stannis is going to overtake the Night's Landing is all you need to know about her. How she's tormenting the other girls, letting them know that they're going to be raped if and when the castle is overtaken. She's such a great and dynamic character and that she knows that Joffrey, her son, is terrible. She even has that moment where she blames herself for her unholy union with, with Jamie, making it clear as if it wasn't already that Joffrey is Jamie's son and not... Um, not Sir Robert. Who is it? Richard? Who is the guy? He died in the first season. Name is escaping me. The big guy. Uh, Ned's friend. Uh, Jamie pretty much spends the entire season looking like shit and being a prisoner, which is awesome. You know, he gets a few amazing moments, like when he lulls his cellmate and letting him kill him to aid his escape. And it's kind of sad and pathetic how short-lived that is, given how the kid died for him. You know, alas, Lady Stark sends him back with that new and fantastic character, Brienne who uh, was the, the Silver Stormtrooper in The Last Jedi, I believe. Uh, you know, and that's she's doing that to get her own daughters back. I love Brienne has that great final scene in the last episode. After being non-stop mocked by Jamie. she gets to put him in his place by showing how she can single-handedly take three armed men down. It's not clear yet how Jamie's going to be transferred or what's going to happen there, but I'm enjoying them on the road together. So moving on to the Starks, we get Arya, who is is has been on the run since the end of season one, and and she's not in captivity in the traditional sense, but she has all these amazing scenes with Tywin Lannister as his page. The irony just so th- deep and thick in those scenes with him not knowing who the hell she is is just fantastic, and the conversations they're having. I can't wait till he figures out, you know, what. Uh, what's going on with her and who she was. Uh, I think that's going to be a great reveal. And while we're on Tywin, he gets the award for the best entrance in the scene for when his horse shits on the floor of the throne room and he enters and accepts the position of the hand on his horse. Uh, you know, continuing on with the Starks. So I talked about Arya and Sansa a bit. I love where Arya's uh, story is heading. Lady Stark's been dealing with Jamie in the battlefield while Sir Robert, King of the North, tries to continue kicking the Lannisters' asses. I like how... The Lannisters in the defense the entire season. I mean, it's pretty clear they're not going to overtake King's Landing, the Starks anyway, when they approach, because no one on their side of the Starks in this battle are really any of our core favorite characters. Stannis is barely a character in this show. You know, if, if Sir Robert was on the battle lines, it'd be more of a shock to see them lose, but that's not the case yet. We're not yet getting that battle. Uh, getting to hang with Bran as the Lord of Winterfell was a fun storyline until Theon came along to take over. I love the fight and the argument they have when Theon first shows up and he tells Bran that he's taken over and Bran mocks him, telling him no he's not. It's so much fun to watch how shitty they treat Theon as he's trying to make them take him seriously. And that storyline is really interesting. 
you know, he's the adopted Stark child to some extent and choosing his two families and neither really caring for him. His own sister lets him finger her when they first meet just to fuck with him. I mean, all he wants to do is get the love and respect of his blood family. And when he takes over Winterfield, they basically just shit all over it. They don't even care, telling him that it's a useless victory, given that they're island people, and he took something that was in the middle of land. You know, he he has that great scene with his, where he's screaming at his father about how he sent him away and then got mad at him for returning. You know, the actor playing Theon, I should look him up, but he's he's fantastic. There's such a patheticness to that character, and I just really, really love it, and I am sad that he'll probably be dead at some point. From Sir Robert, or he'll kill, he'll kill Sir Robert, who knows. But, uh, oh, that scene when he actually has to kill that one Stark elder to show his power, and he can't even, like, behead him properly. He has to take three or four whacks at it. What a fucked up and great moment that was. Can't wait to see how the story with Theon plays out. Uh, now we get the Night Watch. John gets out behind the wall into the outer world. We get our first glance at the White Walkers for a long time, and apparently they're giving children to them as offerings. That's brutal. You know, John gets sticked around for most of the season, and finally they give him a chance to be a ranger. And that's when the storyline really kicks into place, when he's out in the world and comes across Ygritte, who is one of the wildlings, wild things? Wildlings, I think they call them. I hope she sticks around for a long time. She's a great character. Their scenes together just are, they pop. They're fantastic. I love how she messes with him, and when she gets free, you know, she imprisons him at the same time. It just seems like, that's where this story's going. I think John's leaving the watch. I think he's joining these wild people or whatever they're called as he's being taken at the end of the season to meet the king behind the wall. I love that we're going to meet this new big character for season three. Excited to see where that goes. You know, and last but not least for our main storylines, we get the mother of dragons, Khaleesi. You know, she was one of my favorite characters in the season one and, and, and didn't disappoint here. I really like her storyline. You know, she's all powerful the season start with having these dragons, but she's stuck in the middle of fucking nowhere with no kingdom to support her. You know, all she's got is this guy Jorah who is so in love with her, the second in command. You know, I like how they, they spend time trying to find an ally that will help them give them a boat to get across the ocean to the Iron Throne. I imagine, you know, I can only hope moving forward after season in season three, we're going to start to getting to see her interacting with some of our other casts and storylines. It's been so long overdue and the Lannisters in season one, were worried about her having her baby and what that would mean. Uh, but now that she's got her dragons and are starting to breathe fire, she's got some literal firepower behind her. You know, I love the way we get to see her with Cal once more at the end of the season. They had such a beautiful relationship. They really transformed each other in this meaningful and powerful way. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with her season three. You know, I imagine she's going to face some hard stuff. So there's a lot of victory for her this season. And I can't wait to see where they go. Uh, some struggling pieces. The Hound, or Dog, is my probably my favorite supporting character. I love how he protects Sansur. And, you know, while he doesn't really like Joffrey, he's also being loyal to his post. I love... How he just hits his limit by the season's end and tells them all to go fuck themselves and just walks away. You know, there's no way that character isn't going to resurface at some point, and I can't just see who he aligns himself with. I just have to imagine that it'll be Sir Robert, hopefully. You know, maybe he'll get to be part of Joffrey's embarrassmentness or, or killing or whatever. That would be great for me. Continue to love the eunuch. I'm intrigued by him every time he's on screen. I like the inclusion of that demon ghost thing with that red-headed lady that gave birth to her. 
Melisandra, I believe is her name. Yeah, so much good random stuff. I, uh, I'm i looking forward to season three. I'm going to dive in right away. You know, I want to see Joffrey get his ass kicked somehow. I want to see Sir Robert get to take some kind of revenge on Theon for for being a little shithead. I want to see the Hound coming into his own as a free agent. I want to see Khaleesi interacting with other groups from the show. I want to see what the hell is going on with the zombies that Samwell bumped into at the end of the season. They really are doing a slow burn on all the supernatural stuff with the White Walkers. We've only gotten a handful of scenes of it over the two seasons so far. So, you know, I got a lot of wants in there. I think that's enough for now. And let's see if uh, my wish comes true. And if any of these are are happening in season three. So uh, I will be back in a bit. But it'll be seconds for you. Okay, I just finished... uh... Okay, so I got through this season a lot faster. It's the last day of February, uh, but I'm off for a trip next week, so I'm going to try to cram in season four before I'm gone. I'm trying to stay on track to get this episode out when the series concludes. Um, yeah, so season three, holy shit. Uh, did I get what I wanted? Well, Joffrey hasn't officially had his ass kicked, but he's been pretty much neutered by his, his grandfather, Tywin who's now the Hand. Uh, So that's been fun to watch. Sir Robert did not get revenge on Theon. However, Theon certainly got some kind of comeuppance, which we'll talk about. The Hound is indeed a free agent and roaming around with Arya now. Khaleesi hasn't interacted with our other groups yet, but holy fuck, did she amass an army. And we just got a smidge more information about the White Walkers. So let's start there. So Samurai's really got to come into his own this season, protecting Ginny and being the first person in a thousand years to figure out how to defeat a White Walker. They go down super easy when you have a dragon scale to stab them with. So it's kind of fun that he was the character that they gave that to figure out to. And it was lovely to see him in those scenes with Ginny and naming their kid. And they found Bran. And that's great. So now that's going on. Um, John got such a great story this season. I loved, loved, loved the relationship that he has with Ygritte. Ygritte, I think I'm saying that right. And I can't wait to see how that moves on now that what's happened has happened. The whole episode of them climbing that wall was just fucking great. And everything was so heartbreaking after, you know, they came together and fell in love and pledged themselves to each other over and over again. When she was just firing those arrows at him because she felt like he betrayed her. You know, and he has no choice but to go back to Castle Black. Uh, I know this is not the last time we're going to see that relationship or or them playing together, but it's you know the honeymoon is over. It's never going to go back to the way it was. I fear. Uh, let's talk about Khaleesi. Uh, I keep on calling her Khaleesi. I know she has another different a name, but I like to call her Khaleesi because it makes me think of Cal. Um, I feel like her entire story this season could have been summed up in about a half of an episode. And even though we got to see her being super clever and awesome and how she dealt with people and amassing this ridiculous army, it also felt like she basically is an unstoppable force now. And that's only interesting for so long. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved her burning the fuck out of that dude who was talking shit about her the whole time, thinking that she had no clue. But it's just not great storytelling to see someone win so much for pretty much an entire season. Um, I know she was losing in season two, so, you know, she she earned hers. But I, I don't want her to fall by any means. I want to see her get a legitimate shot at the Iron Throne. 
But she has to suffer some kind of set point, setback at next point in the upcoming season. Uh, Theon. So he definitely got uh, some comeuppance for what he did. I mean, by the season's end, he's lost his dick. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I know that they revealed who the boy was that took him in, and I'm still confused as to who the fuck he is. At first, I thought it was Stannis' son when he first revealed it, but he's the son of someone named Roose, I think. And they must be connected to the Starks somehow, but I'm still confused by that connection. Theon's sister's on the way, though. Uh, I don't know if she'll get there in time or what state he'll be in. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe Theon can hang out with Yaris, or Varys and be uh, a eunuch. Maybe Theon will hang out with Varys and be a eunuch in training. That would be fun. Speaking of him, what a tremendous character. I love Varys the eunuch. Uh, we get to, we get to hear the story of his own mutilation, which was probably foreshadowing for Theon. Uh, but in all of his great scenes, and there are so many, I love the end of the season how he tries to get Shay to leave by explaining how important Tyrion is and how he's basically the only person fit to be leader and she'll be a distraction and get in the way and stop him. What a great moment and so true. You know, I do think I said it before, but I think we'll see Tyrion on the Iron Throne by the end of the series or close to it or something. You know, that guy's got to come into his own. Uh, his story was a little downplayed this season, but there was something really sweet and beautiful about the story with him and Sansur, both being forced to do something they weren't comfortable with and getting married to each other. You know, he had to upset Shay by doing that. and But he's being a gentleman. It's great. Like, he really is growing up. Um, and uh, and he will not put a baby into her, despite Tywin's obsessed, obsessing over it. You know, I, I can't wait to see how it progresses. They might actually come out with a love story, the two of them. I wouldn't be surprised. Gendry's on his way to King's Landing, thanks to Davos, who Stannis has spared for now because of Melisandre asked. Uh, he's another person who deserves to be on the throne, as does Khaleesi. And I love that we have multiple people to root for. It's nice there's no clear person in all of this. It's more true to, uh, to life in some way. I really like that. Uh, the Lannisters continue to suck. I'm pretty much over Joffrey, but you guys all knew that. Cersei took a real backseat this season. It's interesting watching Tywin come in and basically just take over the entire family. Uh, he's got to get some kind of comeuppance coming up sooner rather than later. You know, as Tyrion said, kings seem to be dropping like flies these days, and he's essentially the acting king, even though Joffrey technically has the, the title. Uh, the storyline that surprised me the most this season was of Jamie and Brianna. Uh, they became my new favorite unofficial couple, and I can't wait to see where that storyline goes, especially now that he's back at King's Landing with Cersei. Uh, they, they did a really, they, I mean, they had a life-changing experience together, and that's not something you just walk away from. I can't wait to see how that progresses. Jamie's slowly becoming one of my favorites. They just needed to treat him like shit for a few seasons and cut off his hand, which was an awesome fucking move. I love the bold moves this show takes and is willing to take. And speaking of which... Let's finish up by talking about the Starks. I knew, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, that there was something called the Red Wedding, but I thought it was in season four, first of all. And I also, I guess I was expecting that the episode to actually officially have that title. So thankfully, this took me entirely by surprise in the same way it must have when people first watched it. That episode is a phenomenal episode of television. I love the way it tricks you off the top by thinking that they've forgiven Sir Robert for marrying for love, all just to lower their their worries and fuck them over in such a glorious and terrible way. 
As soon as Talisi, Talisa, his wife, started talking about naming the baby Ned after his father, I felt like there was something terrible that was going to happen. But I did not expect someone to murder her and her baby two minutes later by stabbing her in the stomach. Jesus Christ. That that whole and, and and what an amazing move that show that 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 episode made. I kept thinking that they have to get out of this somehow. They can't kill Sir Robert and Lady Stark. That would be insane, but they do it because it is insane. But also, what they have to, you know. What I love about the show is everyone is doing the the thing that they have to do, and and there's no convenient things just for the sake of us loving our characters. The show is constantly punishing and torturing and killing these characters because that's what would happen. And, you know, bless it for for being that bold and strong and straight. That's what makes it a great show. It's willing to go to crazy places. Uh, So I think that's it for the bulk of season three. Uh, I'm almost halfway halfway through the series now. I will be by the end of season four. uh, And I'm really loving it. I love that seeing Sandor and area together i can't wait i finally learned his name i keep on i've been calling him the hound this whole time i can't wait to see where that storyline goes i'm excited and hopeful for some kind of triangle between cersei and brianna and jamie especially now that lady stark is gone brianna basically has nowhere to go she's another free agent i want to see khaleesi have some kind of setback it's time unfortunately uh and i'm curious to know where Jon snow's storyline is headed and how your grit will be used moving forward also, Tywin needs to get his ass handed to him, along with Joffrey, obviously. Uh, I'll be honest. Most of all, I just want to see the Iron Throne change hands by the end of the next season. Joffrey's been on it for two and a half seasons now, and it's time for a change. All right, sitting down now to start season four. Be right back. I'm getting the hang of this. I know character names. I know families, locations. I'm like a proper viewer now. Please don't ask me anything about the books, though. <laughs> uh, so I whizzed through the season uh, before I took off for my trip. It's still the beginning of March, but I probably won't get to season five for a few weeks until I'm back from Japan. Uh, I like the season for reasons that I think that will be obvious because of some of the events, which I'll get into. Uh, it does feel like a bit of a hallway season, meaning that, uh, what do I mean by hallways? It means that we can see they're setting up some pieces to come, uh, so a lot of this is just stuff we needed to go through uh, to, to go from one part of the show to another. Overall, it's great as always, and there's lots of wonderful and shocking moments, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Theon. How far has he fallen? Man, for 10 seconds, that guy was Lord of the Castle of uh, Winterfell, I believe. And now he believes he's this creature reek and that pathetic and a pathetic servant to the the sociopath that is Ramsay. It did take me a little while to figure out how Ramsay and his father Roos fit into it all, but I'm good now. I understand. Uh, That scene where Ramsay shows just how well he's fucked up Theon by having him shave him with a straight razor is really an incredible scene. That is like a perfect, brilliant example of showing and not telling. And this show does that pretty well on a general basis. But I was really, I was really drawn in by that scene. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I particularly like how Ramsey got Theon to pretend to be his former self later on for his own needs. I can only hope he'll try that trick again and it'll backfire in some way. It was pretty heartbreaking when Theon's sister arrived to help rescue him, and he didn't didn't want it, and he decided to stay with Ramsay. Uh, her declaring that he was dead was, you know, 
sad, but as sad as it can get. You know, the one thing this show does particularly well is make sure that there's another side we can feel to the characters at some point, usually. Uh, you know, no matter how despicable or pathetic they are. So, so I know, I don't know what I want for Theon in the future. You know, it'd be sad to see him continuing along this state forever, but I also don't know what kind of future he has otherwise. I feel like he's got a pretty tragic story at this point. Rehabilitation might be too far gone. It'd be interesting to see that story and see if it's possible, and then he gets revenge on Ramsay at some point. But I wouldn't also be surprised if this is Theon until the end. Um, Brianna. God, I love her. I love her relationship with Jamie. And they didn't do a love triangle type thing as I was kind of expecting between uh, Cersei and Jamie and Brienne. But we do get a lovely moment when Cersei makes note how she clearly loves Jamie, how Brienne does when they're at the wedding. And the way Jamie gives him gives her his special armor and his fancy Valerian sword, that's all you need to know about how they feel about each other. And it's 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 interesting. It's a really I think maybe we get more of the triangle later on, perhaps. Uh, given what uh, what's going on with Cersei and and Jamie now, but I'll get into that. I love when she goes off with the Stark sisters to, for the Stark sisters, and she brings Podrick with her because uh, the you know Tyrion doesn't really need him now that he's locked up. Again, we'll get into that. I love that they run into Hot Pie, and uh, I think it's Hot Pie, Hot Pot, Hot Pie, and that's what leads them to Aaron, uh, Aaron. The, uh, the one Stark sister. Uh, jumping ahead to that storyline, I really, fuck, I love the stories between Aaron and Sandor, uh, the Hound. Uh, you know, they could have stayed together forever, and I would have watched just that. They have this bond that's so weird, this push and pull. It's like a father-daughter version of a will-they-won't-they they story. And when Sandor has that truly spectacular fight with Brianna, for her and demands that Aaron finish him off, and she doesn't, you have to wonder, is that like Aaron's final fuck you to Sandor or is it because she knows that he can pull through but she doesn't want to be there to have to deal with him at any rate I doubt very much the last we've seen of Sandor uh, I can't wait for his triumphant return there's no way he's fucking dead and and now um, Erin I keep on saying Erin I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it uh, she's bought spa- passage on this special boat using this iron coin she has because apparently iron is super valuable and now she's heading north finally. She's been on the run since almost the first season, the end of it anyway. So it'd be nice to see her her meet up with some of her family. You know, I, th- I think, I don't know, maybe she's off to find Sansa. Or maybe she'll find Jon Snow. We're, we'll find out. But speaking of Sansa, uh, yeah, I'll try to focus on her storyline post-King's Landing. You know, we get to learn that Littlefoot was in love with Lady Stark, though it's not particularly clear if she had any return feelings for him. I enjoy the dynamic that the crazy Aunt Lysa had and how they used her character. And, of course, Littlefoot murdering her was such a fantastic shock. You know, Sansa is by no means a favorite character of mine, nor is Littlefoot, but I'm really enjoying where this is going and excited to see how they're working together. And uh, and I don't have really any expectations for it, but I'm excited to see how it's going to play out. Uh, Bran's storyline is probably my least favorite in the entire series, if I'm honest. I just, whenever we get to him, I kind of feel like, oh, Bran and his group again. Okay. Uh, and though the, even though now he has these weird magical powers where he can take over people's bodies, that's pretty cool. You know, he meets that old guy at the end that tells him he'll never walk again, but he'll soon be able to fly. Time will tell if that's literal or metaphorical. Um, 
Please, please don't give Bran magic flying powers. That would be weird. The skeleton thing was enough. The whole like zombie skeletons coming out of the ground. That that was hard to buy, but I, I let that go. The fact that uh, the actor playing Bran has aged quite a bit, too, feels a bit strange. But I'm going to let that go because TV is TV. I have no idea where Bran's story is going, but it has to get more interesting than this going on. I found his story to be so boring and weak this season. Um, I was excited when he crossed paths with John, but they kind of just yada yada past that. It's too bad. Uh, then there's Stannis. Stannis feels like a constant afterthought that the show has. I mean, similar to Bran, I just find most of those scenes to be a bit meh, unless they include his his uh, the, his hand Davos. Uh, Davos Davos, who I love him. He's really compelling. Uh, and we still haven't seen Gendry. I don't think since he sent him off in that boat to King's Landing. Given all the shakeups that's been happening over there, there's a good chance that could play very heavily into season five. So I look forward to seeing how they're going to use him there. My my favorite scene in the Stannis storyline was when they go to the bank and Davos is pitching Stannis on why, or he's pitching Stannis to the bank on why he's the only safe investment for the Iron Throne, given the shit show that the the Lannister family's in. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's jump over to Castle Black and what was going on there this season. Jon Snow, back at Castle Black, left the Wildlings. He's still loyal to them. He admits to sleeping with your grit and learns that the Night Watch vows are pretty flexible when it comes to this. You can't get married. You can't have kids. Nothing wrong with a little bit of fun on the side, apparently. Jon spends most of the season preparing everyone for the attack that he knows is coming from the Wildlings, and they in turn just spend the bulk of the season not listening to him and his advice. It does get a bit repetitive. Uh, and then we get an entire episode that focuses just on the attack on Castle Black, which is kind of a story beat copy on the attack on King's Landing with Stannis a couple of seasons ago. But fuck, it's done so well. It's so entertaining and interesting. And, uh, and they're deserving of the real estate they need to tell that story. And of course, Ygritte's story comes to a tragic ending, but that it sort of had to, didn't it? You know, there's no going back to what they had in that that brief moment they had when they were in love and with each other and pledging themselves. You know, it'd be ruined and tainted now. So I'm glad they got that beautiful ending together. It was even kind of echoed with how they first met when he had her dip down the knife to her throat and that beautiful sunset in the background on the glacier. John seems to be in a leadership role now at Castle Black. Uh, after the fall of the battle, so we'll see how that goes. I can see him as a contender for the Iron Throne still. Uh, also, before we leave Castle Black, man, Sam and Ginny's story and scenes together were such a highlight. By the end, they've you know more or less told each other that they're never leaving each other's side, and that's really beautiful and touching. I wonder if that means Sam's going to be taking off, or if they're just going to let Ginny stay with them at the at the the wall. Either way, it works for me. Uh, Daenerys. I'm finally going to start calling her that. I've stopped calling her Khaleesi. I know her damn name. Uh, She continues to kind of just be a one-scene wonder in a lot of episodes. This season finally had her dealing with some falling out of so much stuff going well for her. You know, even the top of the season, we start with getting the sense that she does not have full control over these dragons. And I like that this is a lot of her story. I love watching her realize the burden of power that all these new subjects come to her with and their issues. And that a lot of them are revolved around the decisions that she's made and how she's taken over. The dragons and how they're killing off herds of animals. And then by the end of the season, they've killed this man's three-year-old child. 
and I think they said that the dragon that did that was still out in the loose. But then she changed the other twos up, and they are not fucking happy about that. I can't imagine they're ever going to let that happen again if she lets them out. So it's nice to see that Daenerys, you know, she's used these dragons to gain her power. But I think next season is going to see them fully rebelling and leaving her. And and then she's going to have to figure out who she is without them. Because she's kind of built her whole life around that. Uh, it's a great shift for the character. If she loses that nuclear weapon of the dragons. And she's also lost her greatest ally, Jorah. When she found out that she he's the one that's been talking to Varys, the eunuch at King's Landing. And that the two have been exchanging information. I mean, that was heartbreaking in a really great way. Because we know that Jorah loves her. And that I still think he was acting in her best interest, even if she can't see it yet. There's no way we've seen the last of their storyline together. Those two have got to hook up. Um, yeah, that's going to be great. And then last but not least, I believe, is the Lannisters. Uh, before we get to the main highlight of this, let's talk about um, what kind of surprised me, but I really liked. Uh, for the most part, was the when Jamie came back, Cersei was like, nope, it's too late. We're done. And they didn't really play their relationship for most of the season. Even though Jamie rapes her beside Joffrey's fucking corpse. Um, yeah, that was... Anyway, but they come back around by the end of the season. as Which is like, is that a move against Tywin? Or is that just her finally giving in? I'm not quite sure. But let's get to the main event of this. Joffrey is fucking dead finally. Holy shit did that episode rock in such an amazing way. I got the humiliation I wanted for him. The way he treats Tyrion in the moments leading up to his death are just the most brutal and despicable he's ever been or could be. And he comes off as such an asshole. Uh, you know, even in the episodes following, after Cersei has started to, to recover from the shock of his death, she admits what a monster he was. She says that the things he did shocked her, and she is not a person that is obviously easily shocked. The bulk of the season is devoted to the storyline as Tyrion is the accused murderer, which makes sense given the scene that played out just before and how he's treated and talked about Joffrey in the past. And all the evidence is there, except the most important part, which Tyrion brings up himself, is that if Tyrion was going to kill Joffrey, he'd be a lot fucking smarter about it, and he wouldn't be standing there beside the murder weapon itself in front of an audience. You know, but Jothra's death does exactly what it needs to. It sends shockwaves through the entire season. News spreads to pretty much every storyline. And it also tears the Lannisters apart. When Jaime first returns, we don't get the reunion we expected from Cersei. And she's seemingly moved on. We don't get the embrace that they have until the very end. And when Tommen becomes the new king, Tywin is right there trying to mold him right away. And Cersei sees that right on the wall. She even threatens to expose the Lannisters by publicly admitting that Tommen and Joffrey were the feud of in her incestuous relationship with Jamie, and therefore not really in line for the throne at all, which Tywin is so upset that she's even bringing this up. He doesn't want to believe that his children were incestuous. Uh, it's great. It's great, it's great, it's great. Uh, I can foresee perhaps Jamie becoming the new hand in the next season, or maybe Cersei does. A woman hand? That'd be awesome. Is that allowed? I don't know. Tyrion spends most of the season in lockup, watching the people he thought he could count on letting him down, <laughs> pretty much. Jamie can't fight anymore because he's lost his hand and he can't fight left hand. Bronn gets a better deal by Cersei, which Tyrion totally understands. The only one willing to fight is this Oberon dude, or Oberyn, 
And man, is that a great scene too. I love that you're setting up this David and Goliath match. Uh, and then his gets his fucking head crushed in. What a, with a dude's ba- bare hands. What an amazing, terrible, terrifying scene. You know, in the end, Tyrion gets accused for a murder he didn't commit, and, and Jamie smuggles him out, but then he kills Shay for what she did to him on the stand when she betrayed him and broke his heart. And then he gets to kill Tywin on the shitter. Um, because, of course, he would, especially on the shitter. And I think we're led to believe that Tywin was banging Shay on the side. After giving uh, Tyrion shit for being with prostitutes. And you don't really know how long that's been going on. But either way, it's like, yeah, they kind of had to go. Uh, you know, and it was appropriate that Tywin dies in the toilet, given how he first entered the throne, King's Landing throne room when he was the hand with his horse shitting on the ground. So that was a nice little kind of callback in a weird way. Uh, there's a really wonderful irony to Tyrion being innocent of the murders he's accused of, only to become a murderer by the end of the season, killing um, his father and Shay. So what's next? I mean, the Lannisters are a mess. I can't imagine getting to the end of next season and someone hasn't made a serious play for the Iron Throne, if not booted them off altogether. You know, they've run out of gold, it seems. It'll be good to throw those characters into a new storyline and see how they fare. I'm excited to see them falling apart of the threads now that Tywin is gone and Tyrion is probably going to go into hiding. Cersei will be left to counsel the king. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see the makeup of that, of that family in, in the aftermath of all that's happened to them. I don't have a ton of wants or predictions going into Season 5. I feel like uh, this season closed a bit of a chapter in the overall story of Game of Thrones. Though I suppose you can say this end for, the same for the end of each season. But this one just really feels like a bigger shift in the status quo of the show. And, uh, and I'm really bummed that I won't be able to get back to it for a few weeks. But I look forward to watching the last half of Game of Thrones, the last four seasons, uh, when I get back. Which will just be a few seconds for you. See you in a beat. So I just finished season five, and holy shit, there's a lot to talk about. I loved, loved, loved where the season starts. Tyrion's in a box um, at sea. Varys has snuck him out, and the Lannisters know it. Jon Snow has to try and convince his Night's Watch brothers to bow to Stannis, and Mance is burned alive when he won't. Bran and Potter off in their own adventures, and Daenerys' dragons do not like being chained up. And they're not happy with her. Her Mother of Dragons title is iffy at best at this point. And we finally get to see, throughout this season, the various storylines mingling together in a really meaningful way. And after hearing about it for four seasons, winter looks like it's actually legitimately finally coming. We're in good shape as this, as this season starts and continues through. Uh, so let's go through storyline by storyline, although that's getting more challenging because they're, they're blending, which is what I love. I love seeing that. And I know that we're going to see more and more of that as the seasons progress, I hope, and the mingling of these characters together. Uh, so let's start with the Starks. I mean, they were once kind of the focus of this series, but their bloodline has kind of evaporated for the most part as they've been killed off or disappeared. We don't see Bran at all this season, which I don't mind because his storyline was boring for me. I, he was easily my least favorite story. Uh, but I miss Hodor, uh, so I, <laughs> I think he'll come back around at some point, I'm sure. 
Uh, I don't remember him being killed off. So I'm sure he's coming back. I think last we saw him, he was at that red tree thing. Uh, the glittery, glowy, very autumny tree. Jon Snow we'll talk about later, even though he's a Stark, uh, as well as Sansa, because they're all part of other storylines now. So all we've really got to talk about here in terms of the Starks is Arya. And she is a hell of a character and getting better by the moment. I mean, sadly, we don't get to see what happened to Sandor after she left him for dead. I pray that we get to see him again at some point. He's way too good of a character to just end up maybe dying on the side of a hill. He's got to come back for sure. Arya continues on her mission to track down and kill people who have done her and her family wrong. I thought maybe she was going to go after and, and try to find Sansa and other people from her family, but that's not the case. Uh, she pretends to be an oyster monger, which is a lot of fun. And then she runs into Marin, who I barely remember, uh, but it's someone from her past. And he's got a ridiculously creepy fixation for young women, like super, not even young women, like girls, like teenage, yeah, prepubescent young girls. And she uses that against him to kill the living fuck out of him. And then she, but she's also taken up with these weird mystic people who seem to possess her by the end of the season. No idea where this is going, but it is fascinating. She's such a great character, and I can't wait to see what they do with her. She could become anything. She's almost like a young Brianna in the making, um, which is a really, really fascinating thing to watch where that character might have started from. Uh, the Boltons. So this is a family that entered in the fray later in the game, but they're in a much more meaningful, strong way now. Uh, they're the ones that killed the Starks for the Lannisters and are now the Wardens of the North. And Ramsay, who last season finally became a legitimate Bolton, uh, needs a bride. So Littlefoot, basically, who has his own designs on taking over and becoming the Warden of the North, concocts this terrible, terrible scheme uh, we learn a lot about Littlefoot in this season, uh, his relationship with Lady Stark, how he came for nothing. His brothel in King's Landing gets destroyed, but he doesn't give a shit because he's moving onward and upward, and he's causing trouble everywhere he goes. I mean, he's more or less the Iago of this show. You never know who he has loyalty to, and maybe nobody. Uh, I think the only person he was ever probably truly loyal to and loved was Lady Stark, but she's dead now, so he's just free to be an ever-roaming piece of shit, which is kind of fun to watch. Uh, he takes advantage of Sansa's trust in him and gets her to marry Ramsay, which you know is a bad idea coming from everywhere. It's just he's a sociopath. Uh, and he essentially dooms her to a life of being raped every night by a, a brutal, brutal sociopath. And he does it just so that he can tell Cersei that both the Boltons have Sansa. So now the Lannisters are going to break their ties with the Boltons, which opens up the door for Littlefort to get what he wanted by being the... Uh, the, the Warden of the North. But also, Cersei says she wants Sansa's head in a spike. Um, and then she'll let him be the Warden of the North. Now, luckily, uh, Sansa manages to run away by the end of the season, uh, but not after being reunited with Theon, who's still paying for his past crimes by being Reek. And the scenes with Sansa and Theon are really fantastic. They're loaded with so much history. It feels like she'll be part of his redemption story, uh, you know, but this is a man that feels like he's been broken beyond the point of no return. The vert is still out on that, and uh, and it's really fascinating to watch. I like how they they've created something for Theon to play. Um, Sansor tries to get him to realize who he is, but you never really get a sense of it's it's coming through. 
I mean, Ramsey even makes Reek watch him aggressively have sex with Sansa on their wedding night. And by sex, I mean rape. He's raping her. Um, and, and But here's the thing about Ramsey. He's not the first sociopath we've had in this series, but when you compare him to someone like Joffrey, he's far more compelling. He's not a one-noted character like Joffrey often was. He's nuanced, and the actor playing him is actually really, really strong. You know, it'll be nice to see him get a wonderful, gruesome death at some point, which you've got to hope is coming. The show doesn't reward um, beautiful moments or ugly moments. Everyone gets, uh, I guess, their comeuppance for, for both things at some point. Uh, but in the meantime, when he's on screen, you know, you always know something interesting is going to happen. So, you know, I, I, I just wanted Joffrey to be gone because I was sick of watching him because it felt like such a one-note, mustache-twirling thing where Ramsey's a legitimately interesting character. Uh, so as much as I don't like to see him do terrible things to other characters that I love, like, like Sansur, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what he'll do. Uh, Sansa learns in this season that both Bran and Jon Snow are alive, so maybe when she runs off at the end, she's running off to try to track them down. Um, it definitely sets the stage for Bronn's return, um, but also the stage is set for the Lannisters to come after the Boltons. Except the Lannisters are having their own problems, so let's talk about them now. Uh, there's always a lot to talk about the Lannisters, so let's get right into it. So, so Jamie's up first. He's kind of got his own side mission in this season that's not that exciting. He goes off to rescue his niece slash daughter and bring her home for reasons I do not remember. Uh, I think it's just because um, Cersei wants her back because she was sent away for reasons that Cersei did not agree with. Um, But it's kind of awesome because he recruits Bronn to be his sidekick. And it's funny watching Bronn having settled into castle life. And it's equally funny how fast he ditches it when Jamie promises him more beautiful women to have sex with. And what's really great is they finally arrive to get the, the, the niece daughter. And she doesn't want to leave because she's legitimately fallen in love with this person that she's been forced to marry. Uh, but after some coercing, she does agree to go, but only with her husband in tow. Uh, but of course, she's been poisoned by her her former family. Um, just after this rare, beautiful moment where Jamie tells her he's her father, but she already knew. And it's a really beautiful moment. And I sat there thinking, oh man, how swiftly will the show undercut this beautiful moment? And they do it two seconds later because she starts bleeding from the nose, clearly poisoned, um, by the people that, I think their last name is Sand. So I assume they're going to play in to the storyline a lot stronger going forward. Really, I feel like the only point of this this whole sequence and this whole storyline this season with Jamie is just to set up that family and uh, and a conflict to brew between them moving forward. Uh, you know, the only really interesting things that came out of Jamie's storyline this season were he got to see how awesome his iron hand can be in a, in a battle and how useful it is. And also, there's this great moment when Jamie declares that if he ever sees Tyrion again, that he'll split him in two for killing their father. I mean, here's Tyrion's only real ally in the family, and now Tyrion has no one. So that's uh, that's a fascinating thing, because you know the show's got to reunite them at some point. Uh, so now we get Cersei. Cersei? Cersei, I should say. Um... And she's just having random dwarves brought. Whenever they find someone, they chop its head off and bring it to her to see if they can find Tyrion and kill him. And, of course, it's just not Tyrion, so she's just murdering murdering random people uh, or having them killed. Um, 
the bulk of the storyline for Cersei this season is just a pissing contest between her and Marjorie, fighting over who can control the kingdom by controlling Tommen, the new king. And Tommen and Marjorie are wed, and it's much simpler and, and less bloody affair than the last couple weddings we've had in the show. And you know what? They're actually really sweet together. The scene where they consummate their relationship is kind of beautiful in a weird way. And as much as Marjorie's totally playing Tommen, you get the sense that she probably likes him too. And Cersei does not like that at all, because it means that she's going to have less control going forward. And then the castle gets attacked by some religious zealots, something that appears to come from within, and moral order is restored. So you've got Littlefoot's brothel is is brought down, and Marjorie's brother is caught having same-sex relationships, which apparently is against the law and a big no-no. And then we get the sense that Cersei is the one that had it, Cersei, I keep on saying her name wrong. Cersei's the one that had conspired to have it happen, probably just so she can get Marjorie to commit perjury on the stand so that she's thrown in jail as well. But then as a result of that, they bring up Cersei's incest, and she's also thrown in jail, and also accused of murdering her former husband, King, which, yeah, I guess she was probably the one who gave that order, now that I really think about it. I don't know if I considered that before, if that was brought up before, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Cersei being in jail is fantastic. She's getting what she's long deserved, and you as an audience member are rooting to see her suffer. And then the show takes it up to 11 by having her her hair cut off, and she's stripped down naked in front of her entire kingdom, which is a sea of actual extras and people. And she has to walk through them naked, and they're throwing disgusting things at her and liquids and who knows what else as they chant shame and slut and all these other terrible things. It is a masterful way to get the audience to suddenly have empathy for a character that is kind of terrible and unlikable. You know, a person that's calculating and inhuman. And, I mean, I can't... I I assume her trial is going to be the bulk of her story for the next season. Kind of the way uh, she put Tyrion on trial for Joffrey. You know, that'll be a nice switching of the... uh, That's the nice thing with the show. Nobody gets to win for too, too long. Um, and to, when they turn it around, which is really, really nice. So it's nice to see that. And, man, who knows what's going to happen. It's going to be fun to watch, except King's Landing has been taken over by crazy religious zealots. And there isn't a better time for someone to swoop in and try to take over the Iron Throne because it's fucked at King's Landing right now. Uh, Oleana, who's Marjorie's grandmother, makes a side comment to Littlefoot saying that together we murdered a king. Is this the first time... That we get the sense that Lady Tyrell was behind Joffrey's murder? Because I don't think I knew that. Uh, and that's fascinating as well. I think that's new information for me. And now let's talk about my favorite person in Westeros, uh, the last member of the Lannister, Lannister clan, uh, Tyrion. So Varys has snuck him out. I think once Varys saw Tyrion as someone who could sit on the Iron Throne himself, but now it's, it's more and more getting to a point where he just thinks he knows he can help the person who sits there. And clearly he has some designs in motion, as we see in this season. Uh, Tyrion gets kidnapped by Jorah, of all people, who when we last saw him was being thrown out of Dar- Daenerys' kingdom for having been a spy for the Lannisters. It's really awesome to start seeing these storylines come together, and that's super exciting. It's fun watching the buddy comedy that is Jorah and Tyrion on the road. Uh, And the only dangling thread they leave us with here is Jorah got touched by one of those weird stone creature people and seemed to have some kind of infection or marking on his arm. That's got to come back into play next season. It was left pretty much alone here, and, uh, and I can't wait to see how that comes back. 
Also, I love the moment when Jorah and Tyrion are captured, and the only thing that saves Tyrion is when they claim they can sell his cock because people think that dwarf cocks are magic. But Tyrion insists that due to his size, the size of his cock, that no one will believe that it came from a dwarf. So they need to keep him alive for proof. It's amazing they keep finding ways to make Tyrion's endowment a runner. If we don't get to see it by the end of the series, that'll be a real shame. That's all I'm saying. Uh, There's more to discuss about Tyrion, but first we need to talk about Daenerys and her storyline. I feel like this is the first time I realized that the Mad King was Daenerys' father. Maybe they dropped that in somewhere else and it just flew over me because this show has a million characters and so much information going on all at once. You know, we're introduced to what I think is a new group of people called the Son of the Harpies. I don't remember them from before. Uh, they lay waste to a lot of Daenerys' top people. Barristan is killed. Grey Worm survives barely. He's injured. Uh, and Daenerys starts feeding people to the dragons that are locked up to try and get information about the attack. You know, it doesn't seem to do much good, though. And she's engaged to that dude uh, from there who loves to see people kill each other for entertainment. And they've got the, these games coming up. And she's not down with that. But she goes along with it, and that's when Jorah and, and Tyrion are back in because they've, gotten, they've been kidnapped, and, uh, and now he's going to battle. And he knows that the rule, because of the rules, if he wins the battle inside this pit, that uh, he, has, he gets a moment with, uh, with Daenerys. And so, but he impresses her because Daenerys does not want to see people killing each other for sport. So he just knocks people out. And, and it totally, you know, Daenerys is totally impressed by that, except the, until she realizes it's Jorah. And, you know, she loves him. She totally loves them. They're going to make babies. Maybe they won't. But she can't trust him. Um, but, man, is she fascinated to see Tyrion there as his peace offering. And Tyrion, being the brilliant mind that he is, convinces her to take him on as her advisor. Uh, and his first piece of advice is don't kill Jorah for coming back, but, you know, get him out of here because you can't have him near if you can't trust him. I love this team up of Tyrion and Daenerys. It's two of my favorite characters, and putting them together makes so much sense. Tyrion has nowhere to go. His family want him dead. This is the best shot he's got, and he knows it. Uh, and Varys comes back to be by their side and to basically be the person who who is able to get have his spies bring Tyrion information. It's great. I, I can't wait to see how this plays out. Um, we also get uh, another awesome murder game scene that rallies with Jorah once again proving his skill in battle to try to get Daenerys to pay attention to him. And right at the end of the battle, the harpies come back and start killing the shit out of everyone in the stands, which is kind of awesome. I mean, if you're going to sit there and eat your snacks and enjoy watching death, maybe you should be purged as well. You know, maybe that's something you deserve. And then the dragon who ran away comes back to save Daenerys. That look on Tyrion's face when that dragon shows up is priceless and amazing. Uh, And then we're left with Daenerys flying off of the dragon and her entourage trying to figure out how the hell to find her and keep the kingdom together amidst all the chaos and attacks. Daenerys is off of the dragon, and the last time we see her, she's being circled by a a super large army of some kind, and we don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. Maybe, Maybe you guys... We're, we're cool to it, but uh, or hip to it. I, I, I didn't know. Uh, and then last but not least, we get uh, Stannis at Castle Black. Uh, these storylines kind of flow together for the bulk of the season. 
We start with Stannis trying to woo Jon away from Night's Watch with the promise of giving him the legit surname of Stark, which is, you know, pretty much what he's wanted his entire life, and promising him that he can become the Warden of the North and take over Winterfell. And that's a great offer, except at the same time, Jon's also put in a position to become the new leader of the Night's Watch. And because he's loyal to a fault, he decides to stay by his new brothers at Castle Black and becomes their leader, even though a lot of them don't like it. Uh, so Stannis goes off, and I don't know. I guess things happened to him. I was barely paying attention to his storyline this season. He was He's another one of my least favorite characters, or just least interesting. I don't dislike him. I just don't find him interesting. Uh, and by the season's end, he's in a dire position. He's a, he's a dude who almost took over a night's landing, and he's now stuck in a winter hell where he can't provide for his own army to the point where he burns his own deformed daughter alive in front of his people as a sacrifice to try to turn their luck around. But all it does is anger the gods if it does anything for the gods because half his people disappear in the night and the next day the rest are slaughtered by the Boltons. His wife hangs herself and Stannis finally gets his end. Uh, not by the Boltons, but Brienne. Brienne shows up and kills him uh, in honor of the Starks. Uh, and she hasn't had fuck all to do this season. So it's nice to see it give her something uh, besides just hanging out with Potterick and teaching him how to use a sword. Hopefully they can figure out something for her to do next season. But uh, but this is the end of Stannis, and I guess I'm okay with that. I didn't find him to be that interesting or compelling. He always felt like a bit of a side character to me. Uh, the most interesting people that were in his group were Melisandre and Davos, and they're still alive. They're at Castle Black, and that's good for me. I'm glad we got that out of it, especially Davos. You know, there are a few good eggs in this world, and I'm glad that he's one of them. Uh, and then that takes us to Jon's story. So he's in charge of, of the Night's Watch in Castle Black now, and he's not putting up with any shit. The guy that ran against him in the voting to become the leader disgraces him in front of everyone, and so John does what he needs to do and beheads him. Uh, it's a dirty job, but he's got to prove that he's in, he's in charge now. Uh, Ginny and Sam to be continue to be the cutest non-couple alive until one of the brothers, or a couple of the brothers, try and rape her, and Sam sets in and fights them off, only to get his own ass handed to them. But for which... He gets the reward of losing his sweet, sweet virginity to Ginny, which is awesome. Yay, Sam and Ginny. Sam and Ginny forever. Uh, And then we leave Sam at the end of the season deciding he wants to leave and become a minister and advisor to John. And John reluctantly agrees because he knows at that point in the story he doesn't have many, if any, allies left at Castle Black. But before that, you know, John goes out in the world and he knows that they need more people to help because the White Walkers are coming. And the wildlings are probably his best bet. You know, it causes a huge divide amongst the people uh, because they've been fighting the wildlings for forever. But he decides to go to the wildlings to get them to join and decide if he can recruit a mess of them. And they do, but not before the White Walkers show up and kill half of them and then turn them into their own army. It's an amazing and terrifying sequence, especially that part with the White Walker kids. Holy shit, that was terrifying. Great job, visual effects team. You gave me nightmares, and I will continue to have those images burned in my head for all time. Uh, also, John, as well as the White Walkers, learn that Valerian Steel will kill the White Walkers. Uh, that's great information for both parties to be aware of. But also, there's not a lot of Valerian Steel in Westeros. I think last time we checked, there was maybe two swords that we know of. Uh, John retreats to Castle Black, knowing full well that the White Walkers aren't far behind him. Uh, but also that his brothers on the inside are not happy about the choices that he's been making. And the season ends with a group of them stabbing the fuck out of him like he's Julius Caesar. 
And that's where we're left. I mean, I can't believe... We're left not knowing if John's dead. It looks like he's dead. He's lying there in a pool of his own blood, seemingly not breathing. Uh, But we've also got Melisandre there, and she can do some weird stuff, you know. And they kind of had a sexual thing going a little earlier. So I feel like Melisandre is going to step in and save John's life. That's my prediction. Um, Because I'd be shocked if they kill off John... Jon Snow this early in the series. Uh, I don't have a goddamn clue where it's going otherwise, uh, and that's all very, very, very exciting. It feels like everyone in the group, everyone in the entire cast, is absolutely screwed right now, and that's a very exciting place for a series to be. Uh, right now it's April 12th. The final season starts airing in two days, uh, so I won't be caught up in time to start watching season eight along with everyone else, but I'm going to stay on track so that I'll definitely be caught up by the end of the season and, and, and get this out in time I know I'm going to do it I'm going to watch the big finale with everyone it's very exciting uh, I, can, I can start nerding out with people and not having to hide from every piece of news uh, yeah so now that's it and then I'm, now I move on to season 6 so I will see you in mere moments Season 6. Um, I actually finished this a few days ago, but I, um, I took a little while to gather my thoughts and write them down. So, But here we go. I know a lot of people have said that some of these later seasons weren't as strong as the earlier ones, and I have to say that while I have been entertained throughout the season, I can see how a lot of it was just biding its time while setting up stories for uh, getting them in place so they can all align in a way that's just so for the final season. But I'll get into that. In a lot of ways, this season felt like a hallway between what's before and what's clearly to come. But it also features some pretty amazing scenes and probably the best battle scene we've seen so far. Not to mention the best in television history, I'm sure. I mean, this show is epic and awesome. It's, it's, what an exciting time to be a television watcher. Uh, so first and foremost, Sandor is alive. Yay! I was so excited to see Sandor. And we get an Ian McShane guest starring role. There's actually a lot of guest stars this season. It feels like something new for the show and a little weird also. It kind of pulls you out. It's a shame that Ian McShane didn't stick around, but it led us to watching Sandor lose his fucking mind and go after men who hurt his people. The raid session where he kills a whack of people one by one, swinging the the axe hatchet up through that guy's crotch was amazing and terrifying. I'm just glad to know that we haven't seen the last of Sandor and that he'll definitely be back. Uh, Sam. In the continuing adventures of Sam and Ginny, we get to learn how much of a dick Sam's father is. And as a result, Sam gets to steal his family's Valerian sword, which I'm sure he'll put to good use in the future. Can't imagine it won't come in handy with the White Walkers slowly getting into position for a huge battle. Sam ends up at the Citadel with Ginny and their child. So it'll be interesting to see how his story plays out from here. Not a lot happened this season besides filling in some details on his past and giving him a sweet weapon. So, you know, and access to a, like a, a boner inducing library. He's got that at his heels now. So let's see uh, what happens with Sam moving forward. I don't really have any predictions. I'm sure that his knowledge will come in handy somehow as an advisor for Jon Snow. Uh, Theon and Yara. Theon remains, I think one of the most fascinating minor characters for me. Having been a brother type to the Starks, whom he betrays and resents, and then he gets everything he deserved from the hands of Ramsay, you know, for doing that, for for 
betraying them. He's been captivating and compelling. It's nice to see him back in the road to becoming Theon and leaving Reek behind, I assume for good, especially now that Ramsay is gone. Uh, he gets to help Sansa Sans escape and returns to sister Yara. I really love the scene between him and Yara where she tells him that he needs to get his shit together and he pledged his alliance to her and, and wanted to lead their people. And ultimately, they decided to team up with Daenerys and agreed to the values of her people, which is no raping, I guess, and some other things that they seem to have a problem promising to right away. That's bizarre. They they seem to not be so sure about this particular deal point. So, uh, anyway, yeah, it's a funny bit. Uh, so, speaking of Daenerys, I have to be honest, her storyline was just not as strong and exciting this season. In a lot of ways, it felt like it was delaying so that other stories could catch up. I don't recall any mention that when the cow died that she was supposed to go live with these other widows on Dothraki, of the Dothraki, and so that feels like something they made up to uh, give her something to do this season. Though, please feel free to scream at me and nerd out if I missed it and, and point me to the episode. So I like that we start with all the ships and the kingdom being burnt and Tyrion trying to handle the kingdom while Daenerys is away. As always, he gets some of the best lines. He has this great line that I love. He's like, that's what I do. I drink and I know things. That's him to a T. I love that he goes to see the dragons and tries to get them on his side. And that story about him as a kid wanting a dragon and finding out they were all gone was beautiful and heartbreaking. And explains that look of awe he had at the end of last season, uh, season five, when he saw them. So it was a beautiful moment for him. Uh, so Jorah and Dario track down Daenerys, but as we could have guessed, she doesn't need their help to get herself out. Daenerys talks shit to the cows and tells them that none of them are fit to lead the Dothraki, and she burns them alive, because she's the mother of fucking dragons, yo. And all of them are going to watch her walk out of a burning fucking building, and it's a great moment and super powerful, but we've already seen that on this show in the first season, so it doesn't quite have the same impact, even though it's still badass. We get a beautiful moment where she forgives Jorah and learns about the infection he got from that crazy stone guy touching him uh, forever ago. She forbids him from curling up and dying and sends him off to find himself a cure so he can get back to being her unrequited love, I guess. So her kingdom's under attack, but it doesn't last long because, of course, she has dragons. We learn that Jaime Lannister was the one that killed her father, the Mad King, which I don't remember knowing before. Dario is told to stay behind and manage the kingdom here, and she makes Tyrion her hand, which makes him cry a little, which is lovely. I really, really love the relationship that, uh, that um, uh, Daenerys and Tyrion have. And, and now Daenerys has set sail for King's Landing. So she's kind of a Superman at this point. She's got a huge army behind her and the dragons. She's seemingly unstoppable, and that's not interesting storytelling. Someone has to kill her dragons at some point to put her through on an even playing field, I think, with everyone else. I mean, I was glad to see her slump a bit with the dragons not listening to her, but this season felt a bit weak in her storyline. And more or less, a lot of the same, some repeats. So let's hope for something a bit more unique in Season 7. As much as I love the dragons and think they're cool and awesome, I think they gotta die, because it's just not fair that she has dragons and no one else does. Uh, On to the Starks. Theon helps Sansa on the run and lets her know that Jon's still at Castle Black, though maybe dead, because at this point we don't know. Uh, Brienne intervenes, and her and Pod escort Sansa to fulfill her promise she made to Lady Stark way back when. 
I'm going to hold off talking about Sansa until I get to the Bolton storyline. So hold tight for that. Let's talk about Bran. He's alive. Alive! And is he played by a different actor? I don't know. It's hard to tell. And I'm a bit too lazy to look it up. Because, man, I just don't care about Bran as a character. And his storyline. It feels kind of silly to me. It always has the whole three-eyed raven stuff. The only part that I dug was getting Hodor's backstory. And, man, did I feel it when he sacrificed himself. I'm sure they're setting us up for some big thing where Bran's powers become crucial in the endgame, but fuck, I don't care. I just don't. Even when the White Walkers were on his tail, I couldn't care less. Kill him. He hasn't been interesting to me since he was a peeping Tom that fell out of a window back in the pilot. Oh, and I totally forgot about Rykon Stark, but more about him later. Arya, easily the most fascinating of the actual Starks, not counting Jon, who is technically a snow because he's a bastard. We start off, and she's blind, and this... Waif woman keeps beating on her and training her, and then she admits to who she is, and this magical guy gives her her sight back. And this is another another storyline I just felt like I was waiting for other things to fall into place so that I could catch up to them. Uh, though I enjoyed seeing this storyline when the actors playing characters from the shows. We get it's Richard, Richard E. Grant as Tywin. But even more exciting for me personally was Kevin Eldon playing Ned Stark, because I got to work with Kevin on a CBC show I directed called Cavendish, which you can stream on on the Gem app in Canada, and probably in other ways if you're not from Canada. Uh, So I was pretty excited to see, to realize that I'm now one degree separated from Game of Thrones. Yippee-ki-yay. So Arya gets out of there and gets to kill Frey and gets her revenge for the Red Wedding, but not before she tells him that she fed him his sons, I think, which is awesome. Head fucking move if you're gonna mess with someone up before you murder them. And now she's had her home too. And it looks like we're gearing up for a real proper Stark reunion, which is pretty exciting. Uh, now onto the Lannisters. The Lannister storyline this season was essentially following the craziness of the Sparrows and how they fucked with Cersei and them. We get Jamie coming back and Cersei learning of her daughter's fate. And Sir Gregory, this giant mutant freak protector guy who feels a bit cartoony, but I'm sure he'll come in handy. So, I mean, oh, oh, maybe maybe Sandor will kill him. That's what I want. I want Sandor to kick the fuck out of this giant mutant dude. And Tommen, Tommen, hmm. I mean, he looks ridiculous in that crown. The whole season, he's just sitting on his hands because he's a boy king, and he can't really do anything to stop the sparrows from brainwashing Marjorie or putting his mother on trial. But in the end, Cersei has them all blown to pieces with their family's famous green goo stuff. Which then causes Tommen to kill himself out of grief, which then just turns the Iron Throne over to Cersei. And that whole story, that's the whole story this season for them, which it feels like a lot. But it, again, it just felt like a lot to get us to a point where Cersei was on the Iron Throne. The High Sparrow storyline just felt a bit silly to me, and I'm glad they didn't drag it out for more than a season. I mean, I look forward to the clash between the Lannisters and Daenerys that's sure to come, but... I felt that the Lannister storyline this season was a little weak compared to others. The Boltons and John and Castle Black and all that kind of stuff. Hoo-wee. So now we get to move on to what's probably the most engaging storyline of the season for me, which was Ramsay Bolton versus Jon Snow and the, and the ongoing the Castle Black. Ramsay first. He's a fascinating villain. You know, the way he grieved Miranda at the beginning of the season in such a tender way, and then he says not to bury her. She's good meat and should be fed to the hounds. He's fascinating. He's a true sociopath or a psychopath or whatever he is, but he's got layers where Joffrey always just felt like a one-note villain. 
Uh, he goes on a killing spree, takes out his father, his baby brother, and Asha. And after he kills her, he wipes his knife and cuts an apple with the same knife. He's fucking crazy. I love him. Uh, and then we, we lead into his story with Castle Black, which picks up right where I left off. Uh, Davos finds John, and after a bit convinces Melisandre to use her powers to bring John back to life, which in the meantime, the wildlings have come to take over the Night Watch for what they did to John. Uh, and I knew that second episode would end with a long pause and John gasping back to life. It was still great regardless, but I knew they were going to do that. It was fun seeing him stumbling around after coming back. I love that he hangs the traitors that stabbed him and then tells everyone he's leaving. His watch has ended. He did take a vow to be part of the watch for the rest of his life, and I love his mentality that they killed him, so he's fulfilled his side of the bargain. Also, who wants to hang out with people that just murdered you? Sansa makes it to Castle Black, and they go off together recruiting people to join in their cause once Ramsay sends a letter to Jon Snow to taunt him. Uh, Tormund is on side with the Wildlings to join them, which is awesome because Tormund is a fantastic fucking character. Uh, Sansa gets to confront Littlefoot about leaving her with Ramsay, and it's absolutely delicious. He's such a shit, but also a fascinating character because you never quite know what he's going to do. And that's interesting storytelling always. Uh, we get to this epic and awesome confrontation between Ramsay and John and Sansa, and it's everything we could have hoped for and more. Sansa gets to stand on Ramsay. She's got a great glare. Uh, John recommends that they just battle the two of them to save thousands of lives, and Ramsay won't do it because he's a fucking coward. Sansa tries to give John advice, but he doesn't listen to her, and Sansa gets pissed at John for not taking her advice, given that she lived with him and she knows what he's like. And Ramsay fucks with John. And fucks up his whole battle plan because, of course, he does. That one beautiful shot of, uh, of, um, oh, we didn't talk about Rikon? Rikon. This Stark that I totally forgot about. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they needed something to motivate John to throw him off of his, his warpath plan, but God, it's like, put some effort into setting up a character that we're supposed to really, really get behind. Ugh. Um, anyway, back to the battle. That one shot of John getting ready to take on the whole army by himself is pretty magnificent. Um, the the wonder of John in battle was spectacular. The piles of bodies when Ramsay circles them all and starts closing in, it's great. And then of course Sansa and Littlefoot are the ones that come to to rescue them. I'm going to say more Sansa than anyone. And Ramsay runs away. They storm in. Ramsay gets to kill that awesome giant. And John beats Ramsay within an inch of his life, but he doesn't kill him because. That's Sansa's job. The Stark banners go back up. It, that was a truly incredible sequence, that, that whole battle thing. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and I love that Sansa gets that final moment with Ramsay, and he, she, she gets to let him know that his life will be a waste. No one will remember him or his family. And then she sets his own hounds on him. And it's an amazing comeuppance, especially because he, he makes that shitty remark about how his hounds would never hurt him. Uh... And then we move into the to the end where it's like Davos knows that Stannis' daughter was what happened to her in Melisandre's part, and they want John to kill her, but John just sends her away. But man, I can't imagine it's it's good to have someone like her on their bad side to kick her out at this point when things are escalating. So I'm sure that's gonna come and bite them in the ass in the end. Jon Snow is now declared the king of the new king of the north, which is much better than where he started the season, which was dead. Um, and I hope Sansa becomes the hand. Maybe that would be a thing. I don't know who else would be. She would be great. Make her the hand. Um, 
I also like that they set up this kind of throwaway line that Daenerys knows she might have to marry someone to create an alliance, an allegiance, whatever it is. I'd love to see something between her and Jon Snow form. You can set up a storyline where he's king and she's queen and they team up against the Lannisters with Tyrion on their team. Now that's a side I'd get behind, especially if they can recruit Sandor and they have Theon and Yara in their pocket. That'll be a wonderful, awkward moment because of what he did to the Sarks. Though helping Sansa will probably help pave things over. Either way, I'm really excited to go into the seven, seventh season. Uh, this, this season six was all about getting pieces into place. I hope next season isn't just another season that's setting up the final season. I know it has to, has to save the best for last, but a reduced season is coming up. Uh, I really hope it's tight and focused, and we'll see. Today's date is, where are we? I'm in April 29th, so uh, season eight has started. Uh, I think episode three just aired last night. So I'm on track to join in on season eight before it concludes. But first, here I go for season seven. So I just finished season seven. Um, wow, this season does exactly what I've been wanting the show to do since the beginning, which is bring all the various storylines together. So I'm going to start off like I usually do, talking about the various threads, but then that'll likely lead just in way to an overall talk as the stories cross each other over uh, too much to really keep them separate. So uh, Theon. Theon and Yara get a, a tinge more of a story here as, as their cousin Euron. I think that's how you pronounce his name is a complete douchebag who decides to take over and and sides with Cersei. And as a result, we get to see Theron and Yara on Daenerys' side, which is where we want them anyway. It really does feel like the right people are aligning with the right sides as we start to get to the end of the the finale to what this story is ultimately trying to become. Uh, Sam, Sam is cleaning bedpans when we first meet him and taking care of people. Probably not what he had in mind when he came to the, the Citadel, I think it's called. Uh, Jim Broadbent's on the show again. It's it's weird to start seeing celebrities and cameos in the show because I'm just I mean not to say that there hasn't been famous people in the show since the beginning, but it, it just felt like just such great character actors. Uh, and then they bring Jorah in, and Sam gets to be the one to cure him from that stone disease or whatever that was. Uh, I guess six months away from destroying his mind and eventually taking his life. So Sam gets in trouble. Even though he's he's greatly respected by by Jim Broadbent's character for uh, for fixing it, uh, there's this amazing transition between Sam cutting off Jorah's scale flesh stuff and someone digging into like a crispy soup type pie that I think hot pie makes. Uh, what a delicious transition they do at one point! Uh, and then while he's there, he learns with the dragon glass and, and gets that information off to our friend Jon Snow. And then Sam takes off and, and decides to join John's side. And Jorah goes back to uh, to Daenerys. And now we're into the Starks. Uh, so this season started with what is probably only the only really terrible scene in this show so far. Which is Arya pulling off that Scooby-Doo mask of Lord Frey. Pretending to be him. And, and killing all of his men. So she gets all the the revenge for all the people that were involved in the Red Wedding, which is great. But fuck, that scene was terrible. And I didn't buy it. Like, I, I'm supposed to believe that she's able to throw her voice enough that she can pretend to be him. 
I mean, what the fuck was that? That was just terrible, Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. It left a bad taste in your mouth, especially to start the season with that scene. It felt like a dream. And then to realize that, no, they wanted us to believe this is real. It just felt like something out of Mission Impossible. Uh, Not great, Game of Thrones. Don't do that anymore, please. Uh, So slowly but surely, all the Starks get to come home to Winterfell. Bran... Uh, doesn't want to take up his spot as heir because now he's the three-eyed raven, which, you know, in the end is a pretty useful thing, even though that storyline leading up to it was easily my least favorite of the show so far. Uh, Arya comes home, and she's still on the warpath. I checked the names off her list, and it becomes pretty clear early on that Littlefoot is on that list. And then she trains with Brienne, although really they just become sparring partners because Arya knows what the fuck she's doing. John decides... That he will go meet Daenerys once he learns about the dragon glass and that she's basically holding court on the on the place that has it all. His people are not keen on him going, but he reminds them that they chose him to be king of the north, and so they should respect his decision, and he leaves Sansa in charge, which is really nice to see her stepping into a leadership role. I love that John is the only one who sees the big picture and that the battle between the different groups over the Iron Throne is moot if they don't all deal with the White Walkers first. It's a great storyline, and it shows why ultimately he's probably the best person to lead Westeros in the long run. You know, the person who, who least has the personal desire to sit in the throne should actually be the one to do it. You know, at first he won't bend the knee to Daenerys, but convinces her after going to Tyrion and makes her agree to give him the dragon glass that the White Walkers are a threat. And she's willing to finally entertain the thought more. So that brings us to her. I really like her story this season. You know, she knows she could just storm in with the dragons and overtake Night's Landing. Uh, but that wouldn't prove much. And it's too easy. And, and she kind of wants peace. And she wants other kingdoms to just join her. Uh, and so she starts off doing that anyway. And then she doesn't. It's it's interesting. Uh, I really enjoy the flirtatious interplay between John and her, which I totally knew was going to happen and the way Tyrion barters between them to get all the things that he needs and and what makes him just a great hand for her and then we get the Lannisters you know Cersei's just trying to get everyone to align with her and knowing that Daenerys is on the way and Tyrion is is now Daenerys's hand Euron comes in and and delivers all the people who murdered Cersei's daughter and he pledges his allegiance and captures Yara and then Cersei is going to make the Sand watch her daughter slowly die chained up across from her. Talk about revenge. Cersei's cold as fuck. It's great. Uh, Jamie kills Olyanna after, uh, after she joins Daenerys. And, and gets to learn that she was the one that was behind Joffrey's killing. Which is uh, something that I don't think many people knew at this point. And then they take uh, they take her money and put it into the Iron Bank, but not before Daenerys comes and starts destroying the fuck out of everything, which is really where all the storylines start to converge beautifully. So we get this great scene where the dragons storm in and attack the Lannisters' army, and they burn the fuck out of them, and Daenerys almost loses one of her dragons in the process. Bronn gets that awesome hero moment, and the show does one of those great wonders in the battle scene that, that, that does so well. He rips through the field trying to take the dragon down. And Jamie is racing at the dragon, or more likely Daenerys at that point, in an attempt to kill her and end it all. And we get that fake out of Jamie falling on the water and 
and sinking, only to be saved right at the beginning of the next episode. But Jamie's terrified now that he's seen the dragons, and we get that amazing scene of Tyrion walking through the remains of the battlefield, and his face just says it all. He's not pleased or proud to be a part of what's just happened. He's kind of horrified by what Daenerys' army has done. Uh, and she forces the surviving army of Lannisters to join her or die, and then burn Sam's father and his brother as proof that she'll do it. Cersei gets to learn about the dragons and how screwed they are. And we also get a wonderful bonding scene between Jon and the dragons. And then Jorah returns and all is well. And we now get a proper love triangle going forward between Jorah and Daenerys and Jon Snow. It's going to be great. It's going to be delicious, especially going into season eight. Davos finds Gendry and gets him to leave with him. And you get to see how fucking awesome he is with that hammer thing. We get another Kevin Elrond scene. He's playing a different character now, I think. He's no longer that actor who was playing uh, Lord Tyrius. Or, no, he was playing uh, Ned when he was an actor. Uh, but he is short-lived because he dies pretty quickly. And then the penultimum episode, I think I'm saying that right, has John trying to convince everyone that the White Walkers are real by gathering proof. And he gets a kiss, a kick-ass army together to go up north and Sandor and Tormund. It's like this who's who of, uh, of amazing people. We got to learn that Tormund has a crush on Brienne. Please let them live long enough to see something happen with that. Uh, and Tyrion, Tyrion gives Daenerys some shit for, for what happened in the battle scene. And lets her know that she can't just act that way and burn with the dragons every time. Because it's going to bite her eventually, which is a nice foreshadowing for what happens at the end of that episode. Uh, and so the ending of the of the episode six, I think it is, of season seven, was spoiled for me just days before watching it, when I saw the, the film Longshot, the, the Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron film. We get to see Daenerys lose one of her dragons to the main White Walker, throwing a spear through it, only to have it resurrected as a White Walker dragon. Uh... Really upset that the movie gave that away, you fuckers. Uh, especially just like days before I finally caught up to that episode. But that's great. It's exactly what we wanted the story to have to even the sides out. It's so great and, and needed to move the story forward into the final season. It gets Daenerys fully on board with Jon, knowing that the threat that they're now facing and the sides are evening out. Even though I don't, they don't know about the turned dragon at this point. They won't know until next season, I guess. Uh, and all of this leads us to the final episode in a scene that we've wanted to happen since the beginning of the show, which is a who's who's of Westeros. And everyone who is anyone is in that scene where all of them get together to have a, I guess it's kind of a parlay. What a delicious scene it is. Brienne and Sandor are there. They get to see each other again. And Daenerys is fashionably late, arriving on a dragon, which is such a baller move. Euron tries to talk shit to Tyrion, and he and Tyrion shuts him down in like two seconds flat. And Tyrion gets to address everyone and let them know that a truce makes the most sense, and they got to deal with these White Walkers. Cersei, of course, doesn't believe them, so they bring out the White Walker that they captured, and it goes right for Cersei, which is such, Cersei, which is such an amazing moment. And gets her attention, and she she knows to to go along with it, and agrees. Euron gets the fuck out of there because he's a a weakling, and he bails and knows that he's just going to go live on his army and his island. Uh, and Cersei kind of accepts the truce, understanding that if they aren't killed, no one will be able to rule. And Cersei says, if Jon Snow promises to not take arms with her later on, 
when the dead are defeated, but he won't do that and says that he's already sided with Daenerys. So she, at that point, says that she will not help them. We get an awesome scene reuniting the Lannister siblings where Tyrion and Cersei get to really have it out and lay it on the table. We learn that she's pregnant, and uh, and Tyrion talks her into making the right decision. And she says that she will, but she wants Tyrion to remember that when it's all over, that she chose to help. And then we're in a wrap-up mode, and we learn that Cersei doesn't actually plan to help with the White Walkers, which pisses Jaime off, knowing that that's going to bite them in the ass. Arya gets to kill Littlefoot. Uh, Theron goes to race after Euron to try to get his sister back. Sam arrives at Winterfell and learns that Jon is really a Targaryen and isn't even a bastard. He's the true heir to the Iron Throne. And so that Jon and Daenerys, they get it on, which we knew was going to happen. Come on. And then Tormund and everyone on the wall gets attacked by the White Walker dragon who has blue flame fire stuff. They destroy Castle Black and let us know that when we come back in the next season, shit is going to hit the fan from the get-go. So here we are. Now I'm going to race and get this episode out soon. I'll probably cut this out. I'm going to cut this part out. So here we are, the end of season seven. And uh, and I'm excited and sad to only have six episodes left in this series, even though I know the spinoffs are in the works and there's going to be more Game of Thrones world for me to watch and, and probably, you know, watch from the get go with everyone else, even though I came to this show very late. Uh, so what's going to happen? Well, clearly we're going to we're going to get a fight with the White Walkers. And I mean, we're going to have to beat the White Walkers uh, maybe by halfway through the season. Uh, we're going to lose some people along the way. Maybe we even lose Daenerys. I feel like it's got to be John against the, the Lannisters for the Iron Throne once and for all. Uh, that's the most fitting way to end this show for my money. An ultimate battle between House Stark and House Lannister to wrap it all up. I kind of feel like Daenerys is not the right person to, to go after the throne in the end. Uh, and I want to see Tormund and Brienne make babies. Arya will probably sacrifice herself for the greater good. I want to see Jamie survive. I think uh, he's a good person overall. I mean, I could play this game all day with all the different things I want to see happen. And, but you know what? I really just want to start watching season eight and get into a final wrap-up of my thoughts on this show. So uh, I'll be right back in, uh, in a moment with my final thoughts on the entire series. It's, it's May 11th right now. And so I've got just a couple days to catch up and see you guys on the other side. So here we go. Season 8 coming up in mere moments. All right. So season 8, the final season of Game of Thrones is in the can. Wow. Um, so I caught up just in the nick of time, as you can tell by the, the posting date of this episode. It's interesting. I mean, we're not jumping back and forth in stories very much this season. It's pretty streamlined, as it should be at this point. So I feel like talking about this season just naturally has to be different than the way I've tackled the previous seven seasons. So um, I'll probably go episode by episode right now. Uh, at the top of this, I saw the first five. So we're going to cover those, and then I jump back for the finale, which airs uh, tonight as of this recording. So here we go. The start 
of this we start the season in Winterfell, which makes sense. John and Daenerys are riding side by side on horses and not on dragons. But the dragons fly in too, and people are equally excited and scared, as they should be. Bran's got his own creepy red tree now, and lets them know that the Night King has turned a dead dragon into a white walker beast, so that's not good news for them. There's a great line when Sansa asks the drag what dragons eat, and Daenerys tells her whatever they want. Arya gets to see that Sandor is alive. That's fun. She says something like, the last time I saw you. He says, the last time I saw you, you left me for dead. And she's and I robbed you. I think she tags onto that, which is which is great. Um, so it's a big, fun fest of reunions. Tyrion and Sansa get a reunion. They haven't seen each other since they were married and Joffrey died a long time ago. I could go on and on, but basically everyone we love reunites at Winterfell, including Jamie by the end of the episode. Then over at Night's Landing, Euron convinces Cersei to have sex with him, and then she sends Bronn to kill her brothers. Um, sure. Theon rescues Yara. Uh, she'll take back the Iron Islands in case they need someone to retreat, and Theon wants to head to, head to Winterfell as, as well, which makes sense. I think that's where his story kind of naturally has to end. Got that sense from the very beginning of the season. Uh, back at Winterfell, we got Davos and Tyrion trying to arrange a marriage between Jon and Daenerys so that the Northern folk will accept her as their queen. We end the episode with Jon learning about who he really is, and he's upset that he's not Ned's son because he's always kind of viewed himself as a Stark. And he has conflicted feelings about that given his loyalty to, uh, to Danny, Daenerys. So that's episode one, which is kind of what you expected, gathering the teams and the sides together. It's a lot of fun to see the various people coming together and creating the Game of Thrones version of the Avengers, readying for the upcoming battle against the Night King and his army. So episode two is Danny trying to decide what to do about Jamie, who wants to help them. It's a really lovely scene where one by one, pretty much every one of our heroes vouch for Jamie Lannister. Uh, which is not something you would have expected at the beginning of the show. It's led by, and that's it's all started off by by Brienne because she's sweet on him. So this episode is essentially a bottle episode where we're just watching everyone get mentally prepared for the White Walkers to come and attack. Tormund shows up at some point and let us know that they're less than a day away. Theon gets there too, and it feels like now we got the full gang. And, I mean, there's no way they're going to all survive, right? That would be a pretty shitty storytelling. Also, this is the final story arc for the entire series. So what are we saving people for, man? We need some heroes. We need people to have some valiant deaths. It's a lot of really lovely little moments as they prepare for what might be their final night alive. And here was the highlights for me. Arya and Gendry getting it on. Great idea pairing them together. Tormund saying that he drank giant's milk, and that's why he's so strong. In fact, the whole drinking party is a pretty fun scene, especially considering who's in it. Jamie and Tyrion even kind of laugh about how their father's rolling in their grave because here they are defending Winterfell. At one point, Tyrion looks around at everyone in the room and realizes that at some point, all of them have fought against the Starks. And now here they are defending their home. So that's really fun. I love that they make Brienne a knight. That's a really, really nice and classy move. Bran says the Night King wants to kill him, so they need to use him as bait. Theon wants to protect him, which, as I thought earlier, pretty much means Theon's going to die in Winterfell, which is the right spot. Podrick sings us a really beautiful song, and we get to see Jon tell Danny what he's learned about himself, and, and she knows it's true. 
And then the battle for the horn swells because, of course, that's that's when they do. That's a good time for that. As Daenerys is totally conflicted over how she feels about this news. And then, and then we get into a big-ass battle. That's episode three, which is, you know, we're pretty much just sticking around in Winterfell for the first half of the season. Uh, but poor Lena Headley is getting almost zero screen time this season, which is too bad. It also means, I mean, I mean, how much interesting story is left for her? You know, it's it's almost like they tapped her out as a character and she's just waiting around, which is a shame considering how awesome she was throughout the bulk of the season and the series, really. Sorry. So we get a, a giant, massive battle scene that lasts the entire episode. And it's basically the thing we've been building towards for the entire series ever since um, we got a hint of the, the, the Nightwalkers. So it, it seems to needs to be you know an epic and awesome and it is there's and, and the highlights for me are the visuals that sea of fire heading across the field to the enemies and the choices to remain in the distance and watch it travel and then be quickly snuffed out it's devastating how impersonal it feels you know entire an entire line of defense is gone in mere moments uh, Melisandre lighting the wall on fire is awesome. Pretty much everything she does in this episode is great because it's her final swan song. Tyrion gets stuck down in the dungeon and desperately wants to get out to see if there's some way he can help. Sandra is inspired by Arya. Again, their relationship is just pure awesome. You know, we get an awesome moment where Melisandre says, what do we say to the god of death? And Arya responds, not today. <laughs> I can't remember her name, but she's the fierce little lady who's also um, her own leader in her area. She has an awesome moment where she kills the White Walker giant. We ultimately lose her in this episode, but man, she really goes down in a kick-ass way. She gets to kill a White Walker giant. I mean, there's a lot going on in this final sequence. We get the usual Jon Snow battle oneer that follows him around. We get everyone having a hero moment and having and serving or saving someone else. We get a dragon fight. We lose Theon and Jorah, which are, are good moves, I think, ultimately. Theon gets to become a hero, and Jorah gets to go out before he sees Daenerys come a crazy person, which feels like the way they're going. Um, you know, she was always someone that really inspired him, and I think that they wanted to get him away before what feels like the direction we're heading in for the final arc of the show. So yeah, this episode went down pretty much exactly as I assumed it was. The fight They fight for the whole time, and then they suffer great losses, and the Night King is about to kill Bran, and just as he's killed, the only real surprise was that it was Arya, which was a perfect call. She totally deserved to, to be the one to kill him. And it's awesome that we get to give it to her, and not Jon, which would have been an obvious choice. And this is episode three of the season. We know the final showdown is between our humans. And this is episode three of the season. So we know that the final showdown has to be between our humans. So the Night King has to be defeated in this episode. You know, all this episode was was about watching awesome battles and about giving hero send-offs. An episode like this needs to thin the herd as we get towards the end. Danny still has one dragon, it looks like, or maybe there's two. Uh, but, you know, they're disappearing as well. Her allies are, are thinning. And now the biggest question I came out of this episode will will Jamie stay on this side of these people or will he return to Cersei? You know, will Daenerys realize that Jon should be the ruler of Winterfell or of Westeros? 
So then we head over to episode four, and there's a lot of funeral pyres that they somehow got together in mere hours. Unless they just have those kicking around, um, because I guess people die in battle a lot in this point in history. So maybe that makes sense. So this episode feels like a bookend to the Winterfell section of the season, where now we're getting... You're setting up for a series of potential final goodbyes, but we're also getting ready for the potential conflict with Cersei. Um, you know, largely another bottle episode preparing, but this time it's not night and people aren't drinking. But we get lots of beautiful moments, so I'll break down my highlights and the journeys we get there. Gendry gets to become a lord, and his first move is to try to make Arya's lady, which feels like the right thing and an option for the end of her story, but she's not a lady, and she's got unfinished business. He should have known better than that. You know, maybe if she makes it the end of the season, she'll find some way to come back to him, and they can have some kind of happy medium, or maybe he'll travel with her. Who knows? Um, but, you know, she's not just going to be a person to hang around a castle. We get an awesome moment with Sander and Sansa catching up with each other, and him feeling bad for all that's happened to her, but she's embraced it. You know, it's made of the woman she is now. And fuck yeah. You know, way to take them lemons and make lemonade. And then we get Sander and Arya running into each other, sneaking ahead to King's Landing to try and stop a war before it even starts. I love that they get a final team up on the show. That's a really smart move. We get to see Brienne and Jamie finally hook up. And it's really beautiful and sweet. And I don't know, it sort of feels like it's going to end in heartache, at least for one of them. But it's nice and warranted, and even though Tormund might have been a better mate for her in the long run, I love that Jamie decides to stay behind with her, and even then, of course he doesn't. Ugh. And she begs him to stay and says he's a good man and there's something broken in him. I mean, he's had an amazing arc this season, and I think it's becoming more and more clear that he's a tortured character, and, and finally realizing that he's been undone ever since he pushed Bran from that window back in the pilot. His life has been fundamentally changed and destroyed since then. And of course, the main story thread in this episode is John and Daenerys and the question of if everyone will learn about his heritage. Daenerys is terrified that people will learn because she knows that they'll choose him. People fear her, and that's how her rule works, but they love John. She watches them tell stories of him and the battle, and she's insecure as hell about it. Despite how much he claims he wants her to lead and doesn't want the throne, she can't deal with it and needs him to promise not to tell anyone. But of course he has to tell his family. And then, of course... Sansa tells Tyrion, and he tells Varys. And, and I think Tyrion has that great line, maybe Cersei will, kill us, will win and kill us all, and that'll solve all our problems. Yeah, that's blue sky in it. They have a great debate, um, Varys and, and Tyrion, over Jon versus Daenerys. And Varys is, is changed over to Team Snow, where Tyrion holds his loyalty to Danny, But he's worried, and he reminds her that their plan is to take King's Landing without destroying it, I mean, Tyrion doesn't want bloodshed, and Danny wants to go right fucking then. She doesn't care if the troops are exhausted. So finally, we get a moment with Cersei at the end of the episode. Um, so little story for her this season. She's just waiting around for people to kill her in battle, basically. Which is pretty lame, given how much of a force her character was in this series. I mean, no matter how, what happens from this point on, this has to have been a lame-ass season for Cersei and her story. And there's no way Lena Headley's got to be happy about that. She has one badass scene here where she kills Danny's right-hand lady and pisses her off for once and all, but that's about it. And that leads us into episode 5, otherwise known as the episode that broke the internet. 
I gotta be honest that I've been like a camel keeping my head in the sand while and trying to avoid any Game of Thrones rumors and recaps as I've been binging to catch up, getting ready to to time it for the end. So I don't know, didn't know how much backlash there been to previous episodes, but I got to see pretty episode five pretty much right after it aired, and so I was finally able to embrace the internet. And fuck, was it mad! Uh, my take on this episode. You know, Varys basically tells everyone about John, which makes Daenerys kill him with the death by dragon. And she looks fucking haggard. Essentially, what we're going to see in this episode, which I'm pretty sure is what pissed people off, is the total and complete deletion of her character arc throughout the series to the point where this episode seeing her fulfilling her father's prophecy and she becomes essentially the Mad Queen. But we'll get to that in a minute. We have some other people to talk about first. Tyrion knows King Lanny is going down, so he hatches a plan to get Cersei and Jaime out. Despite Danny's threatening him that one more slip up and she'll kill him. But he does not give a shit. He wants to do the right thing at this point, and good on him, you know? But, and then he's foiled in saving Jaime when Euron sweeps in. They battle to the death, and more or less fatally wounding each other. Anyway, Euron gets to, to boast about being the man who killed Jaime as he dies. And he's boasting to no one. He's just saying it to himself over and over again. And then Jamie hobbles out to find Cersei, who's, let's be honest, this is one true love. His one true forbidden love. I mean, let's be really honest. And this is where everything ramps up and gets cross Tyrion has made it clear that he doesn't want bloodshed. He's constantly reminding Daenerys of that. But that's not what happens. She is seemingly snapped and for some reason has decided she can't wait. Um, decided to wait until Cersei's army lays down their swords and then rings the bells of peace. And then she decides to murder everyone. Innocents, locals, babies, mothers, it doesn't matter. She's lost her goddamn mind. She loses the first dragon to Euron. And so it's just her and another one. The little murder baby. And then that's all she seemingly takes to do the job. Which, which kind of begs the question. Why does she spend the last several seasons building this giant fucking army? You know, and while Danny's turning into the Mad Queen, the city is falling apart. John and Tyrion are obviously in shock. John kills one of his own soldiers because he's about to rape a citizen of, of King's Landing. Cersei pretty much refuses to leave the Red Keep as Sander and Arya make their way up there together. Sander gets to have his final battle with the beast that is Sir Geoffrey, who is apparently his brother. Sandra gets to talk Arya out of risking her life to kill Cersei and convinces her to turn around, saying there's no way Cersei's going to walk away from this and, and, and everything that's happening. And Arya doesn't need to, to, to risk her life in the process. And Arya makes a very adult choice and listens and thanks him, and she moves on. And so Sandra gets an epic final battle with his brother, who's essentially like a crusty, old, pasty Anakin Skywalker with a helmet off combined with an unkillable Jason Voorhees. It's kind of a stupid fight. It's epic and awesome in a lot of ways. But who and what the fuck are Sir Jeffrey supposed to be? He's always been this stupid and useless character for me. I love that Sander gets to sacrifice himself in an awesome battle in the final, defeating evil. But there could have been a more meaningful sacrifice to his character than this. Anyway. Sorry goes racing through the city and somehow survives no matter what happens. She's unkillable here and, and a bit over the top. But I don't want her to die, so I'm cool with it. I like that she didn't get to kill Cersei. I sort of feel like she's going to have to shift her position on the list over to Danny potentially, given what happened. Or maybe she just goes back to Gendry. 
to feel like those two paths could, you know, could be potential for her. Cersei and Jamie get to reunite in the underbelly of the city, and she begs to live in the end, just as they seemingly are crushed and die together. I don't know 100% if they died right then and there, but it seemed like that. And there's something really beautiful about them dying together in this way, but it's pretty anticlimactic for Cersei's story. It feels like they just decided to make Jamie the emotional core of this arc in this final push. It's a good ending for him, you know, letting his love of his sister ultimately destroy him. But this has been a really lame final story arc for Cersei. This is the last time we see her. And then we're left with just one more episode to go. And it's got to be Jon versus Danny, obviously. One would hope that Tyrion shifts his loyalties at this point. I mean, there's also part of me that just hopes that neither Jon or Daenerys survive and, and Tyrion or someone else has to take the Iron Throne. Um, I mean, he has been the first name in the opening credits for the bulk of the series. But at this point, it feels like Danny's our new villain. And I think that's what's pissed people off. How quickly she just abandoned her previously built up character for this final outcome to come down like this. Alright, so now I stop. I'll watch the final episode. And I will be right back. Alright, so I got to the end just in time. And the first time ever... I watched Game of Thrones with the rest of the world. Yay! Uh, so you've all just seen the final episode. It's pretty fresh. The last thing I need to do is a full recap, so I'll probably just do a half-assed recap, uh, mostly talking about all the stuff I loved and didn't love. I'm really happy with the final episode. I love that it started with Tyrion. You know, He's always been the heart of the show for me, especially in these later seasons. Uh, another f- familiar moment of him walking through a, a sen- scene of Danny's devastation but now he knows he was wrong he picked the wrong side and he's just looking to see if he's the last remaining Lannister he's, he's digging through the rubble and that moment after he finds Cersei and Jamie clinging to each other it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful I mean for Jamie and Cersei it's a lame as fuck death to be sure although it's beautiful in its own way but hell it's a hell of a moment for Tyrion you know as he, as he pulls those bricks back and ugh and that image of the dragon wings opening behind Daenerys like they're hers was delicious. You know they've been saving that one for the finale. Uh, to Tyrion quits. He's sent to jail. I love the classic Tyrion line when Jon visits, asking him if he's brought new wine. And then we get a series of scenes telling Jon that Danny's going to kill him at some point because she sees him as a threat. And then we get the Buffy angel scene with Jon and Danny, And it's awesome. I love how destroyed the throne room is. And John just screams at her with the burned children and women and mothers and sons. It's super powerful. It's a great scene for him. They kiss and the camera just holds on it. And we know he's made his choice. And the dragon roars in the distance. I love they didn't spend the entire finale with John weighing this choice. That, that would have been lame. You know, It worked really, really well for me that this storyline kind of wrapped itself up the way it did. And, and as quickly as it did. With a kind of like a whimper more than anything. And then we get the last dragon destroying the Iron Throne. Which is an amazing, beautiful moment as well. It's symbolic and beautiful of the series. And and I mean, you can take the, the, the foundation and make something new out of it, I'm sure. Maybe not. It was pretty melty. So a few weeks 
go by and pretty much all the powerful people in Westeros meet up and Tyrion's brought out and gives a great classic speech. Um, but I love first that Sam tries to introduce the idea of democracy and they basically laugh, laugh him back down to sitting in his seat. You know, and, and getting back to that speech that, that Tyrion gives, it's great. He says, there's nothing more powerful in the world than a good story. Um, which is a really nice sentiment to go out on in this episode. And then he gives us all kind of a surprise twist, which is that he thinks Bran should be king. You know, he says, from now on, rulers won't be born, but chosen by the lords and ladies of Westeros. And one by one, they all agree, except for Sansa, who says that the North will be an independent kingdom. And then she becomes Queen Sansa, essentially. And then it's all hail Bran the Broken. It's kind of a shitty thing to call him, let's be honest. Lord of the Six Kingdoms, because it's not Seven Kingdoms anymore. And then he forces Tyrion to be his hand. I mean, he half-ass forces him. Tyrion wanted it. I never saw Bran as king coming. It's a great move, and it makes total sense. It leaves us with a Stark on the throne, and who can be upset about that? And then we're in a rapid mode. And I love the symmetry of the pilot. John being sent back to Castle Black and the Night's Watch. That makes sense. Uh, that's kind of where he belongs. Bran updates Jamie's bio in that, that big book of knights or whatever that is. Died protecting his queen. I mean, she's classy as fuck given how he broke her heart and just walked out on her. And then we get to see the new council. And it's Bronn as master of coin. Bran is there. Davos is there. Sam is there. This council meeting is amazing and hilarious. And if they wanted to do like a offshoot of this show with this council as a half-hour comedy, I would watch the ever-loving hell out of it. Tormund's at Castle Black when Jon comes back. Arya's going to further explore than any of the maps have ever gone. It's very fitting for her. She says, what's west of Westeros? That's where I'm headed. Love that she's going off to explore. Jon's direwolf is alive. Uh, and then he leaves with the wild things, the wildlings, I should say. That's an interesting way to end the series on that image. And then it's done. It's over. I think I really liked where it ended up. I'm sort of shocked to see how much of a fairy tale ending it all seems and how clean and clear it all wrapped up. Tyrion being the hand made me happy. He never would have been accepted as king. He was right. Um, so now he gets to be kind of like a half-assed king. So I think Cersei got a really shitty final season. I think uh, they had nothing to do for her but wait around and get defeated, and the show honestly owed her more than that after eight seasons. Danny's arc went in a weird way, but it wasn't completely unmotivated. Generally speaking, I'm, I'm pretty happy with all the characters ended up. Those who deserved to die, died. Maybe except for Varys. Uh, Theon needed a hero's death, and Jorah had to go before he saw what happened to become of Danny. And as she went a little crazy... And so there's that. Thanks for sticking with me through the episode. Uh, it's easily my longest, and it's such a beast. I'm pretty amazed that I caught up in time to be able to release this when I did. And proud to have finally tackled this juggernaut of a series in time to enjoy it at its conclusion. So thanks for joining me for the entire Game of Thrones series. Let's all go to the lobby. Blackhole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. 
You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.